Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 29th of June, year of our Lord, 2020. How are we doing out there? You about done with Socialist 101, the purge? Yeah, it's it's still going. Hell, as I went to get in the booth today, uh, Matt in Oregon sends me this. Uh, popular resistance. Black Lives Matter everywhere. It's time to defund the U.S. So we're going to cover that in the show. I'll just read it off my phone since I couldn't get it into the script. But we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to do a thesis or a theme, I guess is the word I'm looking for. How did we get here? And we're going to go through my opinion on how we've been, we got here. And it's not from 2016 to now. It's from 2000. As I've said a few times on the show, it's 20 years coming that we're here now. And then we'll do a woke section. Uh, it's going to be under the auspice of news and social media nuggets. We're just going to do woke shit, kind of a short section. And we'll still incorporate that woke bumper into the woke-a-thon, as I'm calling it now, because there's just so much stupid cancellation. And it's not even being called for. That's the problem. It is literally... People bowing to the mob thinking, well, we're just going to do this before they say anything. All right. We're just going to cancel ourselves because if we cancel ourselves, the mob won't attack us. And as I go in to it and start waxing poetic, I want to say I had a really good day yesterday because. I got liked. My tweet got liked. And let me find it. It's buried in the script. Hold on a second. I'll still play the soundbite when it's time to do it. But out of nowhere yesterday, because it's still gay month. You know, it's still supposed to be LGBT gayness. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. And don't you think that they're not fucking pissed off about it? Because they are. They're still doing black trans lives ladder matter. See, what they've done is just, you know, it's the intersectionality. And they've taken the tip of the spear, and that's what the protest, there's a huge protest yesterday. And we cover it in the why are we, you know, how'd we get here segment. Because the media is still talking about Arizona and Texas and people in parties. You're the evil people passing COVID, not protesters. So the Goldbergs, the TV show about the 80s, literally tweeted so-and-so from Stonewall, this black dude that wore dresses. Because remember, this is before they did sex changes or anything. This is the fucking 70s. His words, or her words, as they say, are still true today. And I did a simple tweet, you know. The reality is it's pretty safe. There's, you know, It's not like I went out to get canceled because there's not a lot of people on the Goldberg. 
you know, off-season Twitter account, and I said, how does this relate to your show? Is there now going to be a trans character and a BLM verbiage because you're scared of the mob? Wendy McClendon Covey and three other people, (laughs) and if you don't know who she is, she's from Mad TV. She's from Reno 911. She's the mother on the show. She liked my tweet and said the mob with about 20 smiley faces. Now, she could be mocking me, maybe. But I don't think so. I think she knew exactly what I was saying. And as a comedian, she probably agrees with what I'm saying. She's never going to say that in real life. No, she can't. She'll lose her job. They, the mob will eat her. She'll literally get eaten. And it'll be air on Twitter. And then the media will say that Wendy McCovey was uh, accidentally fell in a wood chipper. That's what they're going to say. Because they're not going to tell the truth that a, a mob ate her. But that's how extreme our media is right now. But yeah, she liked it. And that kind of validated that I'm not the only person on the planet. Here's a Hollywoodite. Who also agrees? What the fuck? What does gay shit have to do with the Goldbergs? Nothing. It's a show about a geeky kid who made videos. I love that geeky kid. I don't love him as much now because he's a teenager and his voice is all fucked up. But let's get into the script. So here we go. As I've said on the show, it's 20 years that took us to get here. And it starts with our media. Now we, we have to remember... About 95% of them live in blue states. There was actually a survey we did during the election. Most of them lived in blue counties. If they don't live in blue states, they live in blue counties. But I'm just saying they live there. 98% of them identify as fucking Democrats. The last time Pew did it. It's probably higher now. And they agree America's a piece of shit. 99% of them agree with the mob to take down everything and trashing things because... They're progressives, and they're not alpha male types either. Well, except Frito. He thinks he's a fucking badass, but really not. But they're super narcissists who believe they are the arbiter of truth on America and what America should be. So at each of our ratcheting points, as I'll talk about during this, all right, when they were proven wrong, Bush, they wanted Gore, They didn't think the Supreme Court should decide it. They ratcheted it up. Iraq War. They all pushed it under Clinton. But then they got eaten by hardcore leftists when they laid out the case for the American people and there was no WMDs. And leftists, all of a sudden, they didn't notice and made the change. Now we're anti-war because there's a GOP president. And then you get to Trump where they just go full fucking fledged. HRC is the most qualified. She's going to win in a landslide. Each time they were wrong. American people didn't listen to them. They're narcissists. So fuck. We're going to change our motto. We're going to no longer. We're going to say our truth is the objective truth. There'll be partisan smoking guns or everywhere because they told you that Hillary was supposed to be president. They told you there was collusion. So they start with the Fox News' fault. 
The people don't believe it. The South will get more COVID because of Fox. I mean, come on. Phone trackers, they're all moving, but we're rural, so we commute longer to get our toilet paper. But So it looks like we're driving the same, but really we're just driving to Walmart. And then they don't happen. It doesn't happen, so then they just lie. And then COVID specifically, they run out bullshit studies about chloroquine and that the it isn't the protest. It's actually... And it's always some obscure site you never even heard of. It's not like it's the CDC saying it. It's an obscure group, think tank, that's progressive, that comes up with something to tell you that, no, it's parties, not these massive protests that are spreading COVID in every fucking city of the planet. And oh, by the way, only red states are getting it. New York City's pristine. Yes. But they got to keep the narrative growing. All right? Each time during the Trump era... You see no mea culpas when they're wrong. I mean, really, they're worse than the DNC. They're worse than politicians. They're the narcissist of fucking narcissists. They're just next-level narcissists. They will not be bowed. They will not have a commoner like Trump talk trash to them. So they double down. They triple down. They tell you you're the white supremacist, uneducated rube that doesn't get it. You're not real Americans. That's our media. And you got to keep that in mind as we go into this shit show. That's where it starts. And there's nothing better than to start it with Brian Seltzer losing it over masks and losing it over fucking Trump. Question that applies to all of us right now. What is the cost of lies? Those are the first words in the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, last year's award-winning dramatization of the 1986 nuclear disaster in the Soviet Union. Secrecy, state deception, endemic lying, those are the themes from Chernobyl. They affected millions of people back then. So the miniseries starts by saying, what is the cost of lies? It is not that we will mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, then we no longer recognize the truth at all. Coronavirus is not a nuclear accident, of course. But if you watch the miniseries or you read about Chernobyl, as as I did this week, you will notice parallels between the Soviet screw-ups then and the Chinese failures this year. I mean, look at the Wall Street Journal. This is pointing out that earlier this year, when Chinese authorities tried to cover up the truth about the outbreak in Wuhan, that quote from the miniseries, what is the cost of lies, went viral on WeChat. What is the cost of lies? Now, the United States, thankfully, is far more free and open than Russia or China. But the lies are taking a toll in America, too. As President Trump and his aides try to push this narrative that we are seeing great success against the virus, cases are surging across the country, largely affecting the South, the Midwest, and Western states that were spared earlier. Look at the front pages now from some of these states that are really taking the brunt of this. This is from Dallas. You see inside an ICU, a person suffering. There in Austin, the virus unleashed long lines for people trying to get tests. Let's go to Arizona. The Arizona Republic headline, battling the beast on the front lines. And there, another local paper talking about how everything in the community is being upended, everything being postponed and changed. And here's Florida, Tampa Bay Times, virus seizes an opening. And look at the beachgoers on the beach there, although fewer beachgoers than other weekends, according to that paper. What is the cost of lies? The cost is trust. The cost is a collective truth. And sometimes the cost is human lives. 
And we have seen that trust violated. We have seen this dangerous downplaying of the pandemic, outright denial, denialism coming from the president and his aides. And it is partly, I only want to say partly, but it is partly due to the right-wing media machine. Here's a brand new headline from the Washington Post's uh, Margaret Sullivan, media critic uh, for the Post, saying, the data is in. Fox News may have kept millions from taking the coronavirus threat seriously. Now, she's citing a number of studies that have come out in recent months. The studies are piling up. The evidence is piling up. That's from March and April. But it is still true now at the end of June. The network, uh, Fox News, the, the primetime talk shows, often don't talk about the virus threat. They focus on their pro-Trump narratives instead. And we looked today at Fox and Friends, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m. They did not bother leading with the virus today either, 10 a.m., choosing instead to focus on the president's preferred narrative about so-called law and order. They make out cities to be these disaster zones that they're not. Uh, but let's talk more about this continuing today. I mean, yes, it's true in February and March when there were these, you know, ridiculous commentators comparing this to the flu. What is the version of downplaying or denialism now? Brian, right-wing media is still doing this. And I think just one clear example of this is in terms of the mask. And it goes right to that quote about truth, Brian. Look, the truth is the uh, public health officials and the medical officials have been humbled by this virus. But the one thing, and they say, we don't know. We don't know this. We don't know that. We don't know enough about it. But the one thing the data they've gathered shows us to be true is that if you wear a mask and if you social distance and you don't get in a room with a lot of people, you will have a better chance of avoiding this virus. So what happens? This is, the truth is, wear a mask and you will be safer. But we have President Trump, of course, in his vanity, not wearing a mask and his inability to say he was wrong. And then the right-wing media echoes that and we see the result we see the result in these spikes we see it's you know amazing we've because the stories in this yeah masks should have been sent no, in april ahead. mask was an april that was an april story i, I cannot believe right. it's june and we're talking about masks but let me show you an example david yes. we took a look at hannity's yes. town hall with the president it was an hour-long interview special it was pretty much an example of propaganda and in this hour-long special the pandemic came up for a total of three minutes let me show you all the yes, other topics. Yes. Left-wing lawlessness, inner cities violence. They, they, they love these stories. They don't want to talk about the pandemic. It's further validated that Mississippi legislator just passed in the Senate and the House a bill to remove this Confederate symbiology out of their state flag. At no time in any article yesterday, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox, nobody, did they say that that House and Senate is majority Republican and that all the Republicans voted for it? No. Just like they don't tell people that it was Dixiecrats who did fucking Jim Crow and it took Republicans to get rid of it. It took Republican House and Senate to get the Equal Rights Amendment. It took Republicans to fight the Civil War. They never talk about that stuff because it's just better to keep the Democrats' narrative that all Republicans are racist pieces of shit. It gets Democrats elected, and Democrats puts the causes that they believe in. So, there's two things up front. So, we go back to Bush, and as stated, that's when we really started seeing a sea change. We had the election, the Supreme Court, 
got involved. They totally believed Gore was going to win. They said Gore was going to win. And then they, we start with the opinion pieces that he's illegitimate. That started the media's new thing. Every time a GOP president gets elected, you just say they're illegitimate. So we go eight years with Trump and with our Bush. And then within the Bush, you have the Guat. Initially, everybody was on board with Afghanistan. Everybody was on board with getting retribution for 9-11. Everybody. So they weren't going to fucking, you know, the, sure. New York Times, WAPO, they're still doing opinion pieces that we shouldn't do anything, that we deserve this, that the that we just misunderstand the fucking terrorists. They're still going to do that. But on your TV, we're going to do it. But as we get into mission creep of December of Jan- or really January 2002, the left starts saying quagmire and the media starts saying quagmire. And then throughout that, they start fucking getting negative. Well, why hasn't he gotten Osama bin Laden? He hasn't gotten Osama bin Laden. He's not gotten Osama bin Laden. And then we have Iraq. And Iraq was an interesting twist point for our media and the left. This is when you really see that the media has no, and the left, because we'll just, if I say media or I say left, it's the same fucking thing here. They have no intellectual honesty. Now, I'm going to be honest. I fucking hated Clinton. I hated everything about Clinton. That's really when I started becoming politically aware. I was a drill sergeant. Guys were getting kicked off the trail because that was the purge for sexual stuff. If you had a, you had an infidelity, you were fucking kicked the fuck out of the army. And when I was a drill sergeant, if you stuck your dick in a fucking private, you got kicked the fuck out. And guys were going by the wayside. Now, were they wrong? Yes. I'm not saying they're not wrong. But the commander-in-chief was getting hummers off an intern, and he lied about it, and then he was impeached, and the media told us he shouldn't be impeached because he didn't do anything wrong. That's private business. Yet it was about the lie. But during his eight years as president, he laid the groundwork for the Iraq war. He told us every time something went wrong, they lobbed fucking tomahawks at empty tents in Afghanistan and all over the place. And they said, they being Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, fucking Kerry, every one of these monkeys, Harry Reid, he has weapons of mass destruction. They fucking said it. So that when Bush goes to do it, and once again, I stayed on the show. I was against it as a soldier. I knew we couldn't do it. Clinton had gutted the military. It was gutted. They had gutted it and taken all the money and put it in social programs. Because that's what Democrats do. We didn't have enough forces. I didn't have my 40-man complement. I had 25 fucking people when I deployed to war. I was missing a whole fucking squad. Was that four squads? I had two line squads and a weapon squad. That's what I went to a war with. So that's why I was against it. I didn't think we could fight two wars. And I was definitely right because we couldn't fight two wars. The moment we started Iraq, we pulled everything out of Afghanistan. And then Afghanistan just sat there until we were done with Iraq. And then we went back over there and it was too fucking late. So 20 fucking, what, 20 fucking, almost 21 years? Well, I guess it's 20. Next year will be 20. We've still been there. We're still there. But the media, because they didn't get the memo, and that's why I'm covering this in my little theory, or theses, 
They laid it out. And then when it got laid out, oh, fuck, there's people in the street, the far leftists are going, what are you doing? Why did you lie? And that was a seminal point. That's really when the fucking media turned and said, fuck it. We can't print truth anymore. We need to start printing what it is, what we want it to be, what we think the country is, what the left wants. They changed mottos, they fucking changed staffing, they changed the way they did everything. So by the time you're done with the Bush administration, he made a hurricane. He took the hurricane and he sicked it on black people in New Orleans. That's how we ended up with a media that was so hateful of Bush. A media who cheered when Bush had a shoe thrown at him. That media was because of a gotcha. They laid out Iraq because they were just like the rest of us. Clinton had told us. It had been eight-year mantra. Saddam Hussein's the devil and he's got WMDs. It wasn't Bush lied, people died. It was we all got duped. That would have been the right answer, but that's not a good motto and it doesn't get you elections. I mean, do you remember 2004? Anybody who watched TV on 2004, the, the hosts came in in black. They can't believe Kerry gave it up. They couldn't believe Kerry didn't fight for Florida or Ohio. I think it was Ohio. <clears throat> so then we get to 2008. The media initially, Hillary Clinton, because they don't know about this Barack Obama guy. Then all of a sudden they find out Barack Obama's black. Hillary Clinton's a piece of fucking shit. The whole media establishes on Obama. We talked about it a million fucking times, but he literally fucking was dead. McCain was dead. There's no way he can be president. He is the guy. And that's when we started these polls. Who's handling the economy better? That's an actual poll we're doing right now. Who's doing COVID better? Biden, even though he has no power to do anything, he's not in charge of dick. He's not even in charge of his basement. His handlers are. But he does a better job on COVID than Trump. Those are polls that come out. They do this kind of stuff. It all started in Obama with the economy. And then we get Obama. And Obama comes in like a thief in a night. Hey, I'm going to change Washington. It's going to be about, there's no red states. There's no blue states. There's just Americans. Elections have consequences. That was the moment America should have woke up, but they didn't. They were wallowing in their white guilt of, yeah, there were slaves and we never had a black president. Don't we feel good about ourselves because we have a black president? So we just renewed that fucking shit show and threw the whole thing. He started where we're at. He laid the groundwork for everybody's in a group, and every little group hates the other people. He made every crazy left thought mainstream. I mean, mainstream. He formed BLM, ISIS. I mean, every protest you see... That came from Barack Obama, who from the bully pulpit literally told everybody to go out in their house coats and slippers and fucking protest and burn shit. He got involved in every black shooting. He made it that the cops were pieces of shit. Nobody should have been surprised from it. The guy was a community organizer. He was an Al Sharpton you never heard about because he was from Chicago. 
Nobody talks about Chicago because we bury that shit in the mainstream media because people die in droves and it's black on black crime. Can't talk about that. Then we're racist and we're definitely not racist. We're telling America they're racist so there's no way we could be fucking racist because we're the media and we're narcissists. So by the time we get to the end of Obama, we have already started the everybody's partisan, the divide is huge, all we talk about is birthers, white supremacists, but we don't talk about the growing hate, the growing violence that's already in these movements that are out on our street right now. There was plenty of graphic evidence of people walking down streets, kill them and fry them like bacon, kill all cops defund the police was already a concept defund everything was a concept but the media really couldn't project the real stuff they couldn't tell you that obama deported more people than any other president that he put kids in cages because they loved him they were out to protect him i've said it at nauseum on the show when he said he was going to do a thing they put out Educational videos, propaganda. I mean, NBC, every fucking cause he talked about, they ran stories on it to brainwash you that, yes, the president's thinking about you. When the president never thought about anybody in the middle of the country, he didn't give a flying fuck. We were bitter fucking clinging to our guns, Bibles. When the ice storm decimated us, nobody showed up. He didn't take a tour. He didn't give two fucks. But Dylan Roof, he's going to kumbai fucking awe at the fucking funeral. He's going to stick his dick in the fucking Trayvon Mark and make it way worse. He's going to stick his dick in that genealogy guy, the fucking professor who's a fucking asshole, and make it the cop's fault that they did their job. But by 2013-14, you started seeing Hillary. Hillary was the most qualified candidate we've ever had. And they did it all. The Chuck Todds, the George Snuffleupaguses, Cuomo, CNN, everybody was on board. By the time we got to fucking September of fucking 2016, they were talking about what an incredible dream team she's going to put together, just like Obama, of rivals. And they're going to run this country progressive. And remember, this is all in the backdrop that the moment that Barack Hussein Obama got elected in 2008, we would never have a conservative president again. Where there was The demographics just didn't work. There's no fucking way you can have a Republican. It is always going to be Democrat because they always believe that the Democrats wouldn't be dumbasses and they'd elect black people forever. Or Latina. Or gay. Or maybe the media hopes someday a gay dude in a dress that's black. I mean, the fucking tip of the spare, baby. So they'd already moved on. This is one of those ratchet points. Just like Iraq, here's a ratchet. Because by the time we get towards the election, the internal polls are pretty bad. So they started already, they started floating in about June on some networks, Russia. Even though we know now that Hillary was in Ukraine. They were working to get dirt on Trump and the whole, the whole fucking steel dossier and all this shit. And Flynn was a lie. And we, we all know on this side of it, it was all a fucking smoke and mirror. But in case their polls were wrong, they had to de- de- delegitimize, make another unelected GOP because it worked with Bush really well. They got the House and Senate back during him. I mean, they fucking fuck shit up. 
So then when we get Trump, they do anarchy rule protests. That should have been a fucking sign of today. We go through the Russian collusion. That didn't work. We've gone through fucking how many stages, folks? Impeachment over a phone call. COVID. I mean, Jesus Christ. The media has spun, spun, spun. They're invested. They hate Trump. They told you Hillary should have been there. They are the opposition party. And they project everything the right, everything the left does, they talk about the right. I mean, we're going to see today white supremacist articles again. While motherfucking people are being beaten, looted, and burned, and shit's getting vandalized. vandalized. White supremacist right-wing groups. And it's from some obscure think tank. And they went back 25 fucking years. Yeah, you go back 25 years. Sure. That's why statistics are bullshit. I mean, during this time... We have had people beaten in the street for wearing a hat. It was sanctioned by Democrat politicians, quantified by Democrat TV hosts. We've had Antifa legitimized with the moral punches and Chuck Todd brought on. But all you ever hear about is 490 tiki torches, websites that no one knows where they are, Dylan Roof is still in the lexicon. And so is Hands Up Don't shirt, Shoot, uh, uh, fucking Tea and Skittles. The media never let that go, because that's the projection. So as another weekend of violence goes, videos that I will play during our woke section, oh, at the end of the show, because I wanted to change it up today. There's literally videos today being sponsored by the media saying homeowners pull guns on protesters, omitting that these protesters in St. Louis kicked down the fucking gate of a gated community and went in. But it's the homeowners that's a fucking asshole. They broke and entered and trespassed. But the homeowners are the fucking asshole. This is what we get from our media just in the period from the last podcast. And President Trump, who, by the way, didn't even attend today's briefing, completely ignoring skyrocketing coronavirus cases, making it abundantly clear what he really cares about, distracting you with his latest culture war. The president tweeting that he has signed an executive order on protecting statues and monuments and now threatening long prison terms for those he says are committing criminal violence. So he's more concerned about the statue of Andrew Jackson, who died in 1845, than he is about the deaths right now of nearly 125,000 Americans from the coronavirus. How can that be the priority. He's playing politics. I mean, just listen to what he said um, at what was, how can I describe it, propaganda, a propaganda event at Fox News last night? Every night we're going to get tougher and tougher. And at some point there's going to be retribution because there has to be. These people are vandals, but they're agitators, but they're really, they're terrorists in a sense. 
vandals, agitators, terrorists, conflating them with protesters who are seeking justice and vilifying those who are asking for the very thing he cloaks himself in the mantle of, asking for law and order, just like he attacks on as attacks on NFL players who were peacefully protesting racial inequality and police brutality, attempting to distract from the very real and very pressing issues, and in the process, igniting another culture war over symbolic... So the president, obviously none of this, I don't think, would be happening. I'm not sure any of this would have come out if not for the protests that we have seen, the millions of people taking to the streets since the death of George Floyd. But the president talked about the demonstrations last night on Fox. I want to play some of what he said. Every night we're going to get tougher and tougher. And at some point there's going to be retribution because there has to be. These people are vandals, but they're agitators, but they're really they're terrorists in a sense. Talk about the impact of those remarks. Chris, uh, the movement for black lives has resulted in the prosecution of many killer cops. The movement for black lives is responsible for states right now changing their laws in ways that will make communities much safer. Uh, people who are protesting, people in this movement for black lives are reflecting American values, including equal justice under the law, uh, much more than the president reflects those values. Paul Butler, I always appreciate having you on the program. Thank you so much. Um... I want to play for you and by extension our audience what Donald Trump said tonight on this Fox News town hall about the protesters and listen for the R word. I stopped it the other night. I stopped it a number of times. But you'll see what's happening. And we told them every night we're going to get tougher and tougher. And at some point, there's going to be retribution because there has to be. These people are vandals, but they're agitators, but they're really they're terrorists in a sense. What do you think he means by retribution? We have to take control of the streets. What did he say the other week? We have to, we have to sweep up the streets. We have to take action. I think these are dog whistles. But in many ways, we have to take him seriously. He's talking about uh, using the power of the state to crush the movement. It's just as simple as that. Uh, it's no different from what they did in the 60s in terms of criminalizing uh, all forms of black protests, uh, black protest activity, whether it be sit-ins uh, or uh, black protest speech. They want to, in many ways, end the movement. And I, I think, Brian, we've heard so much about uh, some of the other cases that are coming forward because of, of the police body cams and things are being revealed. Look what happened in Wilmington, North Carolina, with the police officers are basically saying that we are ready to shoot and kill. We cannot, we, we hate these in folks and we are ready to uh, move on them and deal with them. That's all uh, as a result of Donald Trump and his ability to get, give the green light to those who want to murder black people. As simple as that. Professor, thank you for having us in. Thank you for coming on the broadcast. We appreciate it. Thank you. And the FBI is now investigating an unthinkable act of hate against NASCAR's only full-time black driver, Bubba Wallace. In the wake of the racist attack, Wallace is receiving an outpouring of support from his fellow drivers. NBC's Sam Brock has the latest. 
Racing is the great equalizer. In a 500-mile race at Talladega Super Speedway, it was this unforgettable stretch before the green flag dropped. The entire garage area has rallied around Bubba Wallace that will likely serve as an enduring image for generations of NASCAR fans. All in all, we won today. The pre-race deal was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to witness in my life. An emotional Bubba Wallace, the sport's only black driver, wept on the track as dozens of his fellow drivers and their crews showered him with love and support, pulling his number 43 car to the front of the line after Wallace was the apparent target of a hate crime. I wanted to show whoever it was that you're not going to take away my smile, and uh, I'm going to keep on going. The act that sickened the sports world. A noose left in Wallace's garage stall a week after he successfully lobbied NASCAR to ban the Confederate flag. Current drivers and former stars like Dale Earnhardt Jr. speaking out. There's a lot of people rallying around Bubba, but I don't know that any of us really understands how that must have felt. The FBI is investigating whether any federal laws were violated as NASCAR has launched its own investigation. Racing legend Richard Petty, who runs the team Wallace drives for, called what happened a violation of human decency. Now I start flipping. Now it's on us. Because during this time period, the media has been able to do this because we watch. We tune in. And they did the Bush, and we watched it, delegitimizing a president. He's unconstitutionally elected. Regardless that the Russia probe didn't come through, and it's not true, and it's all fucking tissue of lies with Hillary and her fucking shitter server, the election's not valid. They instantly op-ed, right, and all on the left go, we need to get rid of the Electoral College. And when they know that can't happen, they do a compact that is totally fucking unconstitutional that they will give their electoral votes based on the popular vote. That's just because they know the popular vote will always be blue. Always. Because of New York City, L.A., Seattle, Portland. But that's why the framers said, no, 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 we can't let just a city elect our president. They've ignored immigration law. They've wanted to disband ICE along with the police. No borders, no deportation, projecting kids in cages and forgetting that we know it was Obama. We know he deported the most ever. But they know most of America doesn't research stories. So they get up and talk about the U.S. Lady Liberty fucking plaques. They cling to murderers and rapists when we know that's not true. For eight years, the media projected scandals as political theater. Now, every scandal is real. They projected that every fucking conservative fucking protest is white supremacy. They still talk about the Tea Party. But every protest by the left is grassroots patriots. I mean, right now, we are in the same fucking area we are every fucking election. Projected polls with adults not registered voted, always weighted 39% Democrats, so it comes up that the Democrat will win. They're already saying there's no way he can win. 
while they're projecting the GOP is suppressing vote with ID requirements, voter booths, not enough voter booths, not enough voter booths. They even do it and forget that it's a Democrat-run state. They push mail-in ballots. CNN literally ran a segment last week of everybody in the Trump administration doing mail-in ballots. But while they're saying it, they're not... Being honest, the honest truth is they're voting absentee because they're not in their fucking district. They can't go back and vote midterms or general election, so they vote absentee. I did that in the military. Absentee voting is not mail-in ballot. That's not the same concept at all. And right now, they are going into overdrive on covid That Texas and Florida, red states have the highest ever, but not blue states. And spread is by bars and party, not protests. Here's just a taste of what the media is dishing right now to once again do the HRC. There's no fucking way Trump can win. This is a nation in crisis. We are watching leaders who are in denial, and it's killing Americans. The president is deliberately negligent. He knowingly puts Americans at risk by holding indoor rallies and events and by cutting uh, funding for coronavirus testing. More than 122,000 Americans have died in the last few months. This is more than every war since the start of the Korean War combined. And the president barely mentions them or their families. He doesn't even acknowledge the collective loss of the nation. Instead, he turns the pandemic into a racist punchline for his rally goers to cheer. The president is focused more on sending troops to protect statues of dead Confederate generals than on protecting American lives. Why doesn't the president appear to care about all of this? Well, maybe it's because according to the man that he hired to be his national security advisor, the president looks at everything through the prism of his reelection. The country's crying out for unifying leadership. Every president since Washington has tried to marshal the forces of the office to unite the nation, to focus on what unites us, not what divides us, except this president. That is a picture of Donald Trump in abject fear of the coronavirus. It may be the one rational fear that Donald Trump has. He did the right thing by keeping those kids very far away from him. But he did a profoundly cruel and inhumane thing by encouraging those kids to gather shoulder to shoulder, sitting before him in praise of him. Because he is America's Dracula, who takes his sustenance from other people. The image of himself that he sees in the adoring eyes of his audience is what Dracula Trump so desperately needs to get through another day of the excruciating insecurity of being Donald Trump, a weight that he has borne with varying degrees of rage his entire life. If some of those kids get sick today, and if they go home and kill their grandparents, then... That's what had to happen to make America's Dracula feel good for 90 minutes on that stage today in Arizona. A state where Joe Biden has a lead in the polls over Donald Trump, which is much, much more important to Donald Trump than the health risks to his audience, the deadly risk to their parents, and the even more deadly risk to their grandparents. If some grandparents have to die for Donald Trump, 
to catch up to Joe Biden in Arizona if some grandparents have to die for Donald Trump to help the incumbent Republican senator close the 13-point lead that Democratic candidate Mark Kelly has in the Senate race, then that's what Donald Trump's father taught him to call the cost of doing business. And uh, John Heilman, uh, we're showing on the screen there today, Texas, another record high day uh, for coronavirus infections in Texas. And Donald Trump basically polling in a tie in Texas, Joe Biden uh, one point ahead. Those two things are related. And if things get worse and worse in Texas uh, with the coronavirus, uh, who knows what happens to the presidential campaign polling? Right. I mean, Lawrence, one of the things that that's, that that's true is that, you know, three months ago at the beginning, the first peak of the first wave, you know, you saw the geographic split, right, where um, it was mostly blue states and blue cities, places like New York, California, Washington State that were affected by coronavirus. And out of that grew this red-blue divide where you, the culture war that Donald Trump wanted to foment, he said, you know, over here is the liberals who, who are wearing the masks, and, and we, good, freedom-loving Americans, don't do that. And that was an easy political uh, division to try to sow and ride when most of red America hadn't been affected by coronavirus. We all said three months ago, well, what's going to happen to the politics when once this gets to red America, which it will inevitably for the reasons that Dr. Redliner said and others, we, we all wonder it would make things more complicated for Donald Trump. And that's exactly what we're seeing now, right? Whether it's in Tulsa, in Oklahoma, in the Texas example that you gave in battleground states like Arizona, where the, the easy, cheap politics that Trump was is a master of and that he was uh, indulging in for the last three months, suddenly he's starting to look incredibly foolish because even the Republicans in those states are looking at him and saying, this is ridiculous the way you're behaving and we care more about our life than we do about some culture war that you want to wage and that is going to hurt him politically in a lot of states, including places that, are, that would normally be considered safe for a Republican, places like Texas. That first soundbite, imagine somebody on the right, a Fox person, literally did that. Or the O'Donnell, he's a fucking vampire. Or MSNBC just lying about it. There's articles like this. New York City reports no protest-related uptick in COVID-19. Megan McArdle, there have been some early positive data for the protest don't spread COVID theory. Here's some also preliminary evidence that they do. Spotted toad. The change in the barrier looks like what you expect. There were increase in transmission three weeks ago. People saying, well, of course. They told the trace trackers not to fucking ask that they even went to protest. NPR rolls out a shitty think tank. Studies that are not validated. Parties, not protest, are causing spike. Analysis. WAPO. <clears throat> Analysis. New research explores how conservative media misinformation may have intensified the severity of the pandemic. They go back to that. And Hannity, which has been disproven. They literally have Hannity on their picture. Harvard Kennedy School. That's where they got the info. On the left... Get a grip, America. The flu is much bigger threat. On the right, a list, uh, out analysis. New research explodes how conservative media misinformation may intensified the severity of COVID. They bring it back out. Because we got a lull in the Black Lives Matter stuff. And they go right back to COVID. Somebody says, ah, oh, the morning dose of propaganda. Correct think before coffee. Before... 
because from Boston to D.C., where the virus struck earliest and most severity, all those deep blue staters rely on conservative media for news. Do you think about that? I mean, do you think that the fuck, uh, like this person, and mine would hit the floor more than a handful of people could stop and say, wait a minute, this is not accurate. Hell, it was only two months ago that. The fact of the matter is, the studies that they will only put out once and then they drop is how New York City infected the whole fucking country. The whole eastern seaboard. They have proof of people going to different parts of the state from New York where it broke out because everybody went to the Chinese New Year because if you didn't, you're a fucking racist when Trump had already closed down travel. That's where it spread. That's where it spread. Aren't this is America's them bringing on... The, they, this is the third time they brought on Cuomo to talk about how bad red states have done. The guy did a directive that killed grandma. He literally did a directive that killed grandma. But the media is making him a hero. Katie Tourer, in a rush to be cool like the cool kids, runs this out. And I don't think she thought it out. CDC says COVID-19 cases in the U.S. may be ten times higher then reported. Great! That means the death rate's nothing. Nothing. Brian Guy. Yes, that's what we've been talking about all along. The inflated IFR of yours looking shakier than ever. Which would be awesome news in terms of achieving herd immunity going back to school in the fall and voting. It probably is. And it has probably been around much longer than... Here's the facts. Population in the United States, 330,965,224. COVID deaths, 124,279. It's a death rate of 0.037. Three-tenths of a percent. And of those deaths, 42% are in nursing homes. We've had 10 times. And what they're doing is they're cooking the fucking books. If you have a positive antibody, you're a positive test. And I guarantee you and I went and took the test. We'd have antibodies. Because we all probably got it. I was coughing in December. Felt like shit. Rooters. Crowds pack Arizona River as U.S. posts record COVID cases. Bloomberg, live aerial footage shows massive crowds rallying to celebrate pride in Chicago. Nothing about COVID. Nothing. So they're going back to lockdown because the left knows if we go to mail-in ballots, they'll be able to stuff ballots, Turn out lessons for people who don't get it right. Blue states are already going mail-in ballot. My parents have been mail-in ballot in Oregon forever. And then they can go the compact. They go electoral. They've already won 11 states. Trump gets it. And you really think about this racist shit. Something that made me think, we all didn't step up in 16 and go, how was it racist that a white woman didn't get elected? It should have been sexist. 
But the left, the far left, was pushing the tip of the spear. Trans lives. Black trans lives. So if you really think about that, that's less than one-tenth of a percentage. It's minuscule. The amount of transgenders, which is 0.4% of the fucking population, and if 30% of the population's African-American then you maybe one-tenth of a percentage point. But yeah, that's what they ran with, because that's what the far left is doing. And they're not going to change. They did it for fucking Iraq. They did it before. Those ratchet points. We're, no, we're not doing it. But they need the black turnout. And once again, they believe that the Democratic Party was going to get a white candidate. But they didn't. They voted in all white dudes. And then it went down to the worst white dude they could possibly have. But they need 98% black DNC voter. That block, they need it. They need the 5.4% for an electoral win. So this week, they roll out D.C. as a state. Now, everybody on the planet knows why they're doing that, because it would give them two extra Senate seats. That's why the left wants this. But the framers didn't. The founders didn't want D.C. to be a state, and neither does the D.C. residents. The moving push to grant the District of Columbia full statehood is growing. It's been bolstered by a vote. A vote. An unconstitutional vote by the the left. And nobody in the media said anything about it. H.R. 1291, a bill proposing D.C. admission to the union as a state by local non-voting congressional representative Eleanor Holmes Norton. The district currently operates under special status carved out by Constitution and Congress, whereby residents cast votes for president and municipal policy leaders. Let me get to the point of the article. Um, don't forget why our founders created the district. The constitutional specific, the constitution specifically grants Congress the power to exercise executive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such a district not exceeding 10 mile squares may become the seat of government of the United States. The founders intended for the capital of the newly created United States to be a neutral ground for co-equal sovereign states to come together to transact the nation's business. Congress doesn't even have the power to make a D.C. a state. Furthermore, it's not clear at all that D.C. can legally follow the same process to join the Union as have former territories like Western states because the district current status is spelled out in the Constitution itself. But you can't hear that coming out of Andrea Mitchell. How frustrating is it that Mitch McConnell won't even bring it to the floor? Uh, well, it's it's very frustrating. Uh, we've answered all of the questions that have been uh, lobbed against us about uh, statehood. And now all that is left is that the issue of whether Americans should be represented in the Congress who pay taxes uh, is a partisan issue, Democrat versus Republican. Um, but that's not really the, the question that the members should be asking themselves. They should be asking themselves what is fair uh, and what what reflects the principles of the American democracy? D.C. residents being the, the only people in the free world whose capital city residents aren't represented in the capital is simply anti-American. 
And in fact, it's been since 1801, the last time D.C. residents were able to vote. Uh, you've been pointing out that D.C. residents pay more in taxes per capita than anyone else in the country. Right, and so sometimes people are confused about uh, who we are and uh, how we operate in Washington, D.C., and what the Constitution requires. The bill that's before the House of Representatives continues to have a nation's capital, a federal enclave that is required by uh, the Constitution of the United States. But the balance of the current District of Columbia, where over 700,000 people live, um, becomes the 51st state. Our population is already greater than that of two states. Bigger, We're bigger than Wyoming and Vermont. Uh, and unlike uh, the territories, which some uh, which we've been compared to recently, uh, we pay all of the federal taxes that every American pays in, in the 50 states. So when you see in taxation without representation on our license plates, because we're literally paying more than 22 states, more per capita than any jurisdiction, giving more to the federal government than we get back. Uh, we're literally being taxed without being represented. Our Congresswoman, Eleanor Holmes Norton, has been fighting this fight uh, to get a vote in the House of Representatives. But currently, we do not have anybody speaking for us in the Senate. And getting two senators and being fully autonomous is what statehood means for Washington, D.C., would land be taken from the neighboring states, from Virginia and Maryland, in this new conception of a 51st state? Absolutely not. Um, so the, the current District of Columbia in the Admission Act, um, is there is a section um, that is the federal enclave that includes the, the White House, the Capitol, Supreme Court, the National Mall, all the Smithsonian's. So the people um, from um, across America will still come to their nation's capital. Uh, and the balance of the current District of Columbia becomes the 51st state. Now, you tweeted today that the color of your skin shouldn't determine whether you can vote. I'm paraphrasing there. Do you think that there is a racial reason for this, for the, for the district being well, there uh, is, with yes. us, uh, without a vote? Well, we know the earliest discussions among uh, the framers in the District of Columbia are related to slavery. Uh, and we know that race has has accompanied this discussion uh, throughout. Uh, you know, everybody knows that we are proud of our rich and diverse history in the District of Columbia. Uh, African Americans, people of color, and people of all backgrounds call D.C. home. Uh, and we should not, uh, people should not look to us and say that we're too urban, we're too black, we're too liberal, um, and that makes us different uh, from the people of the other American states, and we have to justify our American citizenship and representation. Uh, that's, that hasn't been the case for any um, state being added to the union, and it shouldn't be the case for us. Now, this certainly came to the fore when district residents did not get their share, their full share of the stimulus checks. They were treated as a territory and got half as much. But it really came to light three weeks ago, a little more than three weeks ago, when you did not have the power to control the National Guard, to prevent the federal troops from clearing peaceful protesters from in front of the White House so the president could have a photo opportunity. And that it, it came to light that you, unlike any governor, in America and the governors of the territories 
cannot stop the president from federalizing troops. The 82nd Airborne were outside the, the district borders in case they were needed, and the National Guard troops arrayed themselves in front of the Lincoln Memorial. I mean, I think this was a real education for everyone in, in America um, that the, we never thought we would see the federal government move in that way against American citizens. You know, many uh, conservatives will argue uh, that D.C. can't be a state because the state would have too much power over the federal government. Um, but we know how dated that argument is. The real concern that we saw was a big, massive federal government and its army can move on American citizens, American citizens who are peacefully protesting. Uh, and no one wants to see that happen. Uh, what uh, resonates across America should know is that the federal enclave that will be the seat of federal power uh, will continue to operate under the jurisdiction of the Congress of the United States. The president will have access to the Secret Service and United States Park Police and the, the Congress to the Capitol Police. But the residents of, the, of Washington, D.C., our new state, Washington, D.C., uh, will be fully autonomous, just like every American citizen. We already operate like a state, Andrea, I don't have to tell you that. I, I operate as the mayor, the county executive, and the governor. We have a $15 billion budget. Uh, we balance our budgets uh, every year. We see improvements in our schools, city services, and, and, and our amenities. Um, so we know what we're doing to manage our city. Uh, our residents elect people to control every aspect of our life, and the federal government has to... Now, I want you to think about what the media does every year at election time. They project that voter idea ID disenfranchises black people who already have to have ID to get any social services, social security, in theaters, everywhere. And you know that they bust them to vote, so why couldn't they bust them to get them IDs? And most states give out free ID that require ID for voting. You know that. But that's because it's the projection. We are witnessing right now the biggest voter suppression scheme that's ever happened in our history. I truly believe that. If you look at what we've done for the last four years, coordinated, perfect lockstep articulation, talking points, whatever you want to call it, by the media and Dems. When there's no scandal, we either go to Trump's health Trump is not sane, or Mexicans are murderer or rapist. Then we go to the next scandal. All channels, your nightly news, your cable networks, movies, TVs, all pushing a voter suppression. He can't win. They did it in 16, but they believe they fucked up because they let him get on TV with his rallies. Anytime he starts to talk about politics, like Obama did, like Clinton did, like Bush did, during any other speech they do, they cut away because they have lockstepped with the left that they're not going to let him get his voice out. They're not going to let him get his campaign out. All his ads are suppressed on social media. All his tweets are broken down that this is wrong, he shouldn't do it. The media is so invested in the left's fucking plan 
In latest crazy, USA Today promotes cancel culture attack on the fucking national anthem. I'm not reading it. I'm not reading it. It is unbelievable. In mainstream media, white feminist Laura Rankin wrote op-eds all week that the Tennessee heartbeat bill is racist, white supremacist. Now, let's think about this for a second. If you're saying that, you're saying only black people get abortions. Which then gives us back to the projection they're doing that because PPFA preys on black community because that's where they put their goddamn fucking abortion mills. So we project that you're stopping black people and they know they can do that because everybody just shuts up. Oh, I don't Yeah, okay. When we have too much violence in the street, they turn it the fuck off. They go to bogus polls. They go to bogus study. They say that nothing's happening over here. The COVID's not spreading. And they went back to COVID. This week they're going to COVID because the only thing that's out there is violence. is tearing down statues, invading people's property. And of course, every time this happens, what do they run out? Escalating far-right violence in U.S. to pose greatest terrorist threat. In a report released last week, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a left-leaning group, analyzed 25 years of domestic terrorism incidents, find that right-wing attacks and plots accounts for the majority of all terrorist incidents in the United States since 1994. Do you believe that? Does anybody believe that? No. It's not true. It's not true at all. Because you've completely omitted Antifa for the last four fucking years. Two inaugurations for presidents. You burned Washington down. And all the while, Biden's in his basement. He doesn't speak. He doesn't do press conferences. At this point... Trump was getting called out for not doing press conferences. So he did them. And as stated, they run polls. Who's handling COVID better? Who handles race better? Biden. But Biden's not running shit. Because they can't let him out because he's stammering. He's saying all sorts of crazy shit. And then, what are we? This is about to be July... August, September, October. We are basically four months from election. Tell me if an objective media that was not part of a fucking political party would this early in an election cycle sound like this. This is Chuck Todd from yesterday and Allison Camerata from Thursday. And I named it All In for Biden. So here's the thing, though. If it were only self-destructive, that would be one thing. If it were just poor campaign strategy, that would be one thing. But people are getting sick, Errol. People are dying in this country. 124,000 people, I'm looking at the screen right now, have now died in this country. The president won't wear a mask in public. The president won't say that we should have more testing. The president barely acknowledges that this is spreading. He had a campaign rally and every campaign staffer there is now in self-quarantine. He is putting people in harm's way. They are getting sick because, in some cases, 
of the decisions he has made. That's correct. And look, at some point, people have to take some responsibility for this. It is heartbreaking for me uh, talking to you from my home, where I've been for a number of months since our whole company up here in New York has been sent home, uh, to, to see tens of thousands of people lost in New York, New York City alone, in just a matter of weeks. It is shocking what happens. It happens so quickly. Uh, the, the morgues are overwhelmed. The funeral homes are overwhelmed. Uh, refrigerated trucks are set up outside of hospitals. Um, medical staff themselves start to perish. Friends, co-workers, neighbors, gone. Susan, it's very interesting. The Wall Street Journal, right-leaning um, newspaper, has an editorial this morning that talks about the lack of leadership. It says President Trump may soon need a new nickname for sleepy Joe Biden. How does President-elect sound? On present trend, that's exactly what Mr. Biden will be on November 4th, as Mr. Trump heads for what could be an historic repudiation that would take the Republican Senate down with him. Good Sunday morning. Throughout his presidency, there have been countless this-is-it moments that opponents of President Trump felt sure would puncture his standing with voters. Charlottesville, immigrant children in cages, impeachment, just to name three. But nothing seemed to move Mr. Trump's approval ratings much one way or the other. Now, however, the president is facing a crisis he has been unable to tweet, bluster, or bluff his way out of. COVID-19 and the death toll and economic dislocation that come with it is there for all of us to see. Every American is aware of it. Every American is affected by it. Every American has an opinion about it. The past week felt more like April, with states and then the whole country setting records for new cases. Cities shutting down and renewed fears that hospitals would soon run out of ICU beds. Through it all, President Trump has been in denial. And the United States has become the object of avoidance, ridicule, and even pity around the world. At home, COVID has given Republicans a permission slip to criticize or ignore the president and provided space for former administration officials like John Bolton, whom I'll interview in a moment, to criticize a president of their own party. Ultimately, as the number of cases goes up, Mr. Trump's political standing goes down, making him now the most endangered incumbent since George H.W. Bush lost in 1992. We find ourselves careening toward a catastrophic and unsustainable situation. Texas and Florida, praised by President Trump for being among the first to reopen, are now backtracking, abruptly setting new restrictions on bars, restaurants, and beaches. There was widespread noncompliance, and that led to, led to issues. If you do need to get out, please wear a mask. On Friday, the U.S. set a record for new cases. In 25 states, cases have increased by 25% or more over the last two weeks. In nine states, cases are up more than 100%. The time for prevention measures was a month ago. Now, it, I mean, the wheels are coming off. But on Friday, at the first coronavirus task force briefing in two months, the vice president appeared to deny that reality. We have made truly remarkable progress in moving our nation forward. The nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Fauci, says current efforts to test sick people, isolate them, and trace their contacts are not working. We don't extinguish the outbreak. Sooner or later, even ones that are doing well are going to be vulnerable to the spread. For months, the president has minimized the virus. We have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China. Looks like by April, you know, in theory, when it gets a little warmer, it miraculously goes away. This is going to be 
gone. It's going to go. It's going to leave. It's going to be gone. This is going to go away without a vaccine. Six months into this pandemic in the United States, that message largely dismissing the virus hasn't changed. We're doing so well after the plague. It's going away. This is a localized situation. We slowed the spread. We flattened the curve. We saved lives. But the curve hasn't been flattened. The virus isn't going away. And the issues that plagued early testing efforts remain. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. But did you ask to slow it down? Uh, If it did slow down, frankly, I think we're way ahead of ourselves, if you want to know the truth. We've done too good a job. Because every time we go up with 25 million tests, you're going to find more people. Some Republicans would like to see President Trump stop politicizing mask wearing. Until we find a vaccine, these are really important. This is not as complicated as a ventilator. The most amazing thing about this is that it's so coordinated to suppress you even thinking about voting for Trump. When you as a normal American, I mean, this is just a short list. This is what the opposition wants. From one cop-assisted death, and I don't say that cop killed him. He had fentanyl-laced meth. That's what killed him. The cop aided in killing him. It's manslaughter not murder. We have canceled cop shows. We have canceled master bedroom, as we'll learn today. We have canceled almost every product that can be even thought of. We have a few more today. We canceled cartoons. We canceled white over audio or uh, voicing for anything. We canceled statues. We canceled police force. We canceled ICE. We're trying to cancel the Electoral College. We're canceling cities. We want to pay reparations. And more than reparations, because you owe us more, we'll see in a second. Every financial institution, every fucking goddamn company in America has bowed to BLM. And now, Matt in Oregon... Black Lives Matter everywhere. It's time to defund the men, member, uh, the military. The case for Black Lives Matter should be applied globally, and the push to defund police should be extended to the U.S. military. Uh, President of the cities cross government, 70,000 National Guard troops. It's because the National Guard troops went out. After a week of conflicting orders during the Trump demanded 10,000 troops in the Capitol, the active duty troops were finally ordered back to their bases in North Carolina and New York on June 5th as the peaceful nature of the protests made the use of military force very obviously redundant, dangerous, and irresponsible. The peaceful nature. Okay. But Americans were left shell-shocked by the heavily armed troops, the tear gas, the rubber bullets, and the tanks that turned the U.S. streets into war zones. They were also shocked to realize how easy it was for the president to single-handedly to muster such a chilling array of force. But we shouldn't be surprised. We have allowed our corrupt ruling class to build the most destructive war machine in history and to place it in the hands of an erratic, unpredictable president. As protests against police brutality flooded our nation's streets, Trump felt emboldened to turn his war machine against us, and I'm not reading anymore, Matt. But I'm going to keep the website. Thanks, brother. Um, literally, what the fuck? What the actual fuck? That's who we're supporting. But just like in 2016 when it should have been sexist, 
You're now racist if you don't vote for Biden. And this is kind of long, but this is just from the last podcast. You, every one of you out there, even if you're a liberal and you're white, you're a fucking racist. And Jonathan, on the breaking news uh, at this hour tonight, we have a federal judge ruling that uh, the United States must release children from family detention centers, which just reminds the country of how bad uh, and cruel uh, Trump governing policies were before we got uh, to the cruelty exhibited in the pandemic, where the president simply walks away from the challenge of protecting this country from the coronavirus. Right. Cruelty doesn't work. Not protecting people's public health doesn't work politically. Look, you could give them a little bit of a break in February and March when this was a new thing. Okay, he's asleep. Switched. It was pretty bad. Then it gets worse when he's giving out misinformation. Now he's a public health menace. And he has rivers of blood on his hands because of what he and these Republican governors have done. It's not March anymore. They they knew what they had to do, but they made the political decision. The problem for them is it wasn't the political decision. It was an idiotic decision politically on top of being very, very damaging to public health. So I think he's in a downward spiral now. And unless uh, Joe Biden, you know, nominates somebody far to the left, president, uh, I don't see a path back for Trump. Uh, Jonathan Alter, is that the way most American voters are seeing this campaign? Apparently so. If you look at if you look at the polls, I mean, if you went into a laboratory and designed a horrible campaign, you'd come up with tr- uh, Trump twenty twenty on top of everything else because words speak louder, or deeds speak louder than words. Where is his administration last night? They're in court trying to repeal protections for people with pre-existing conditions. This is how they lost the House of Representatives in 2018. Uh, the American people, especially when there's a pandemic, do not want to be thrown to the wolves they do not want to have to declare personal bankruptcy or sell their home if somebody in their family gets sick. And that, in effect, is what Donald Trump is running on. If you elect me, I will leave you high and dry on health care. It's just, it's like an anti-campaign. And, you know, it, we've always overestimated, I think, Lawrence, because of 2016, how good this guy was politically. He's actually a political Idiot. If you if you look at his inability to extend from his base, it's political malpractice. His base isn't enough to reelect him. Joining us now, domestic correspondent for the New York Times Magazine, focusing on racial injustice, Nicole Hannah Jones, in her latest essay for the New York Times Magazine entitled "What Is Owed." She writes in part, "Quote: If Black lives are to truly matter in America." This nation must move beyond slogans and symbolism. Citizens don't inherit just the glory of their nation, but its wrongs too. A truly great country does not ignore or excuse its sins. It confronts them and then works to make them right. If we are to be redeemed, if we are to live up to the magnificent ideals upon which we were founded, we must do what is just. 
It is time for this country to pay its debt. It's time for reparations. Um, okay, so let's take that a step further. And what would those reparations, um, which is a, a, a really big issue, um, especially at this time of um, of momentum and racial uh, effort for racial justice in this country, what is what do repara- reparations look like specifically? Thank you for having me on. Um, black Americans face really a singular economic crisis, uh, both prior to the pandemic and, of course, during the pandemic. What reparations would look like would be a comprehensive program. It would be an investment of resources into the uh, racially segregated black communities and schools, which were uh, constructed in part by federal, state, and local government. It would call for uh, actual enforcement, rigorous enforcement of existing civil rights laws against discrimination in housing and education and jobs. And most importantly, it would include individual cash payments to black Americans mm-hmm. to make up for a gaping wealth gap. Black Americans have 10 cent, black households have 10 cent of wealth for every dollar that white Americans have and black households with children have one cent of wealth for every dollar that white households have. So just, um, sort of thinking back to President Obama's view on this, which isn't completely different to what you just said, but I think some of the concerns might be that it creates some forms of reparations, create an illusion um, that the job is done, we, we can now move on, instead of focusing on the first part of what you said, schools and policies that can have long-standing um, impact for black Americans. I mean... The truth is, no matter what is done or isn't done, there's going to be the sense that we've done enough, that we've solved the problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that when uh, President Obama was elected, that became the tool. Well, how can you complain about racial injustice? There's a black man in the White House. So that's going to happen regardless. What we know is that you can invest in infrastructure, you can invest in education, but none of these things are going to close the racial wealth gap. Wealth is about uh, money that is accumulated over time. It tends to be passed down over generations and built over generations. And what the data shows is black people who earn college degrees don't close the wealth gap. Black people who purchase homes don't close the wealth gap. Black people who get married don't close the wealth gap. There is nothing that black Americans can unilaterally do that will close a wealth gap that was created by 350 years of policy. A lot of a lot of the pushback to reparations uh, comes from this uh, idea, this misbelief that it's this new uh, concept that America has never participated in before. But that's actually not true. Can you share a bit about how uh, the U.S. government has actually in the past uh, given certain groups reparations? Absolutely. So one, let's just. Let's just put it out there. We know that we understand the concept of restitution in the law. If a hospital uh, does something that kills my husband, I can sue that hospital and receive payment. We know that restitution for harms is a thing. Um, black Americans were fighting for restitution for slavery during <laughs> slavery, after slavery, uh, after race riots. And the only people in America who ever received reparations for slavery were uh, white enslavers in Washington, D.C., who were paid when their property, which were black people was emancipated. But we have uh, paid reparations to some native tribes. We have paid reparations to the Japanese. We know that uh, Holocaust survivors after a lengthy battle received reparations from um, 
the, uh, from the Germany. And even in this country, we actually pay every year millions of dollars to help support the victims of, of the Holocaust, even though that wasn't a crime that we committed. That's a just thing to do. But when it comes to black Americans, we have just delayed, um, wait and, and wait until the generations of living victims died off and then say that there is no debt that's owed. Uh, I think one thing we should think about is uh, at the end of slavery, black Americans exit slavery literally with nothing, no land, no jobs, no homes, nothing. Uh, Carrie Lee Merritt, the historian, says we were the only group of people in this country who, as a race, had zero capital. That has accumulated over time and then followed by a hundred years of racial segregation and apartheid that did not allow black Americans to accumulate wealth. So we have to provide a stimulus to make up for that inequality. Sometimes our conversation started out easy. How do you define racism? Racism is is the unjust treatment of uh, people of a different you know, uh, color, uh, national origin, uh, that is either uh, from face-to-face uh, -face interaction, but also more importantly, institutionalized. And Yet things could quickly grow uncomfortable. You define racism the way you did. Do you fit in that definition in any way? I'm not. I'm. I. I um, I don't hold those views, and, and you know, nor associate with people who do. And in this moment of national reflection, we did find some Americans trying to iron out those contradictions in society and in themselves. I do believe in the systemic racism that we have in America. So as a white person, I would say, of course, I, I probably do play a part in that racism. So, and I mean this in the kindest possible way, I'm right now talking to a racist. Technically. <laughs> Although, right, I would never just say I'm racist and I hate people based on the color of their skin. Of course, I would not want to do as Democrats vying for the White House crisscrossed Iowa, so did we. Women win. Let's get this done. First stop, an overflowing rally for Senator Elizabeth Warren. We spoke with her backstage about how the economic pie is distributed. We got some free pie here. Free pie? An issue we covered last week with a real pie. How many pieces of the, of the pie would you put on the middle class? You had it exactly right. You showed how it is that the wealthy have so much pie. When I do a wealth tax, it's not to hand out money, it's to make the investments. How do you like your chances? Oh, I like You're America's leading scholar on anti-racism, and your 2019 book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is currently a number one nonfiction uh, bestseller. What's the difference between being not racist and being anti-racist? And the question is always, and I think with anything, when, when someone diagnoses us, when somebody explains that we have some sort of problem, the question I think for all of us is, are we going to deny that problem? Are we going to deny that addiction even? Or are we going to admit it and then begin the process of changing ourselves, healing ourselves so that we can change and heal this country? We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. That is baldly an anti-racist statement written by a racist man. Is what we think of as racism a modern, and I mean 500 years old, a modern European colonial idea that is merely a subset of inequality, or has there always been some form of racial discrimination? 
So for a very long time, you can look into the into antiquity and see sexism and see ethnocentrism uh, and see obvious religious persecution. But racism is a modern phenomenon. The concept of race, Black Africa, Native America, even White Europe, is a modern phenomenon that largely comes out of the slave trade, largely comes out of colonialism and, and, and slavery. Joining us now, domestic correspondent for the New York Times Magazine, focusing on racial injustice, Nicole Hannah-Jones. In her latest essay for the New York Times Magazine entitled, What is Owed? She writes in part, quote, If black lives are to truly matter in America, this nation must move beyond slogans and symbolism. Citizens don't inherit just the glory of their nation, but its wrongs too. A truly great country does not ignore or excuse its sins. It confronts them and then works to make them right. If we are to be redeemed, if we are to live up to the magnificent ideals upon which we were founded, we must do what is just. It is time for this country to pay its debt. It's time for reparations. Um, okay, so let's take that a step further. And what would those reparations, um, which is a, a, a really big issue, um, especially at this time of, um, of momentum and racial uh, effort for racial justice in this country, what, is, what do repara reparations look like specifically? Thank you for having me on. Um, black Americans face really a singular economic crisis, uh, both prior to the pandemic and, of course, during the pandemic. What reparations would look like would be a comprehensive program. It would be an investment of resources into the uh, racially segregated black communities and schools, which were uh, constructed in part by federal, state, and local government. It would call for uh, actual enforcement, rigorous enforcement of existing civil rights laws against discrimination in housing and education and jobs. And most importantly, it would include individual cash payments to black Americans to make up for a gaping wealth gap. Black Americans have 10 cent, black households have 10 cent of wealth for every dollar that white Americans have and black households with children have one cent of wealth for every dollar that white households have. So just, um, sort of thinking back to President Obama's view on this, which isn't completely different to what you just said, but I think some of the concerns might be that it creates some forms of reparations, create an illusion um, that the job is done, we, we can now move on, instead of focusing on the first part of what you said, schools and policies that can have long-standing um, impact for black Americans. I mean... The truth is, no matter what is done or isn't done, there's going to be the sense that we've done enough, that we've solved the problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that when uh, President Obama was elected, that became the tool. Well, how can you complain about racial injustice? There's a black man right. in the White House. So that's going to happen regardless. What we know is that you can invest in infrastructure, you can invest in education, but none of these things are going to close the racial wealth gap. Wealth is about uh, money that is accumulated over time. It tends to be passed down over generations and built over generations. And what the data shows is black people who earn college degrees don't close the wealth gap. Black people who purchase homes don't close the wealth gap. Black people who get married don't close the wealth gap. There is nothing that black Americans can unilaterally do that will close a wealth gap that was created by 350 years of policy.
A lot of a lot of the pushback to reparations uh, comes from this uh, idea, this misbelief that it's this new uh, concept that America has never participated in before. But that's actually not true. Can you share a bit about how uh, the U.S. government has actually in the past uh, given certain groups reparations? Absolutely. So one, let's just. Let's just put it out there. We know that we understand the concept of restitution in the law. If a hospital uh, does something that kills my husband, I can sue that hospital and receive payment. We know that restitution for harms is a thing. Um, black Americans were fighting for restitution for slavery during <laughs> slavery, after slavery, uh, after race riots. And the only people in America who ever received reparations for slavery were uh, white enslavers in Washington, D.C., who were paid when their property, which were black people was emancipated. But we have uh, paid reparations to some native tribes. We have paid reparations to the Japanese. We know that uh, Holocaust survivors after a lengthy battle received reparations from um, the, uh, from the Germany. And even in this country, we actually pay every year millions of dollars to help support the victims of, of the Holocaust, even though that wasn't a crime that we committed. That's a just thing to do. But when it comes to black Americans, we have just delayed, um, wait and, and wait until the generations of living victims died off and then say that there is no debt that's owed. Uh, I think one thing we should think about is, uh, at the end of slavery, black Americans exit slavery literally with nothing. No land, no jobs, no homes, nothing. Uh, Carrie Lee Merritt, the historian, says we were the only group of people in this country who, as a race, had zero capital. That has accumulated over time and then followed by a hundred years of racial segregation and apartheid that did not allow black Americans to accumulate wealth. So we have to... That's just from the last podcast. That's just from the last podcast. And then when you point out that there's violence because they're totally covered from BLM, they're totally covered from Antifa, and I have sound bites of people attacking cars on a freeway. Trump tweets the most wanted people for tearing down statues. They have to be black. Media runs headline like this. Trump tweets 15 wanted posters for mostly minority protesters to vandalism Statue toppling. Calls for St. Louis Mayor resignation intensified after she docks Black Lives Matter protesters on Facebook because they committed crime. So anybody who steps in to say this is wrong, now we attack them also. Because we're not going to say anything is wrong. Not until Biden's elected. And once again, the cycle doesn't end. You stop talking about this. They run some car ramming stories. People start turning out. They go back to fucking COVID. Red states only. Como's a savior. He didn't kill grandma. He's the best thing ever. The South, all those Southern states, they didn't listen because of Fox. Ah, ah. They even brought fucking Northam out. We covered it on the show. A dude in a KK hood in a fucking blackface. But he was on board now. Bubba Wallace. Fake. Dems run unconstitutional gun ban. We're not covering it. PPFA under fire SCOTUS. We got that in our story today. It's about black people. And as stated, and I'm not going to play it, the Goldbergs get on board. This is why I was going to play this person talking about it's so important 
to accept transgender people. That's how far they've done it because of the black effect. We've made everything intersectionality so everything affects black people. And we're here because we let ourselves be here. We voted in the same Republicans over and over who bowed to this shit. The first thing they did, instead of getting law and order and making sure that our history was protected, they passed police crime bills. We didn't take to the street when there was protest after protest after protest by the Dems through courts to block everything we voted for. We didn't vote for Trump. We voted for the policies. We did nothing to stop this. We watched. We fact-checked and said, hey, this is wrong. Cops aren't bad. But we didn't make our voice heard. We basically condoned all of this. Instead of writing back that, no, not all Confederate statues are bad. No, not all cops. No, America's not racist. No, that statue wasn't a bad person. It was an abolitionist. The emancipation statue was made by freed slaves. Or going out and saying, I won't let you burn my city. I closed my rant with, we, we let this happen for we worked and financed it. We finance this goat fuck by watching the TV and by not ever saying stop. Right now, the biggest voting fucking suppression in the world is happening and only one, one media source carried this. Michigan City Clerk has been charged with altering ballots. The mail in ballot is illegal. They're doing it to alter the vote. Almost every polling place in America is run by Democrats. They're not stupid. And this week, Anna Presley, Black Lives Matter is a mandate from the people. It's time. Pay us what you owe us. Everybody applauded. Everybody. San Francisco 49ers fly a Black Lives Matter flag at Levi Stadium. It's on the same level as the American flag. Black Lives Matter and teacher union work as partners to end repressive policing in schools. Minneapolis council members get private security funded by the people $4,500 a day to protect three security members or council members. Washington Post blog shamelessly defend Antifa too shapeless to be blamed for anything. The person that wrote it wrote this on Twitter. Right-wing websites are demonizing Antifa. I'm not even going to read it. It's all lies. Simultaneously, when this all happened, Nancy Pelosi comes out 
Last night, the House took decisive action to secure justice for black Americans killed by police brutality, passing the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Tune in as I discuss this and more with reporters of the U.S. Capitol. People reply, you refuse to even debate an offer of any amendments by Tim, Tim Scott, a black man with first-hand experience with racism, and showed how unserious you are. Your bill does not ban chokeholds. You only want power, period. How annulting. You passed a bill that is dead in the Senate, negotiating something that could pass. Stop wasting time playing politi- political games. Any American city... citizen who defies Nancy is now considered calam- collateral damage. This tyranny cannot stand. With all due respect, I wish you, Mr. Schumer, had allowed the Senate bill to go forward and had an open debate before the public and conference, not letting it out of the Senate is positively Moscow Mitch. These are lefties. And then she literally gets to be brought out this week. She talks about Russia again, and her and Schumer can't even say Floyd's name right. I want to turn now to that rather startling report in the New York Times that appeared yesterday. We're going to show it on the screen right now that Russia secretly offered Afghan militants bounties to kill U.S. troops. It reports that American intelligence officials have concluded that a Russian military intelligence unit secretly offered bounties to Taliban-linked militants for killing coalition forces in Afghanistan, including targeting American troops. The intelligence finding was briefed to President Trump and the White House National Security Council discussed the problem at an interagency meeting in late March. Officials developed a menu of potential options along with an escalating series of sanctions, but the White House has yet to authorize any step. Now, the director of national intelligence put out a statement late last night denying that the president had been briefed. The president has said that as well, but not denying the intelligence. You're a member of that so-called gang of eight that gets intelligence. Were you aware of these reports? No, and we had called for a report to the Congress on this. This is as bad as it gets. And yet the president will not confront the Russians on this score, denies being briefed, whether he is or not his administration knows. And other our allies who were, some of our allies who work with us in uh, Afghanistan have been briefed and accept this report. Just as I've said to the president, with him all roads lead to Putin. He will not, he will, I don't know what the Russians have on the president politically, personally, financially or whatever it is. You've raised that several times now. You said you don't know what the Russians have on on President Trump, but do you believe they have something on him? Well, how would you else would you explain his refusal to even uh, to ignore again and again the intelligence that puts right at the uh, Russian doorstep uh, the involvement into our elections, for example. Now he's saying this is fake news. Why would he say that? For the families of Floyd Taylor, or George Taylor. I only will do that if you tell me that this legislation is worthy of George Kirby's name. Nobody stopped this. We voted people in that let this just happen. And I was going to play right now, but I'm a little long. Simultaneously, a guy from OWN, because we just let our media say that OWN is evil and run out a college football coach for wearing their shirt, Jack Probasek was attacked, live-streamed attacked. Not one media person covered it. Not even Brian Seltzer. So we got here because for 20 fucking years, the silent majority remained silent. I am not a Trump supporter. 
but I'll be voting for Trump just because the option of Biden is worse. I believe you have the right to own guns. I believe your state has the right to ban or restrict in my book, not ban because I'm for letting people to have abortions. It's there between them and God. But restrict abortions. I still believe in free speech. Even if it's evil. That's what we set up as a country. I'm on one street corner supporting the police. You're on the other street corner saying the police are the devil. At no time in our framer, in our history, did we get to the point right now that it's okay for you to come across the street and beat my ass. Damage my property. Steal my shit. Stop me from driving my car. Burn down my business. Rip down fucking federal statues. None of this is okay. We have to stand up. We have to demand our leaders do what we want them to do. If you took a poll on all of this, an objective poll, nobody wants to defund ICE, nobody wants to defund the police, nobody wants to get it done with Electoral College, and nobody doesn't believe that BLM is not who the media say they are. They're a socialist anarchist group. They go hand in hand with Antifa, and they are running our country right now. And it's all because we let Obama do it. We reelected his stupid ass because we were afraid we're going to be called a racist. We made this. And we need to unmake it. We're going to go to our own music break today. And we're going to come into a soundbite on what is intersectionality. I played this before. But this is what... This is why you're getting emails from fucking Quickie Lube on BLM. Intersectionality, a concept that was made up on some fucking college, is now mainstream.
You know I'm local. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. What is intersectionality? Intersectionality is a way of understanding social relations by examining intersecting forms of discrimination. This means acknowledging that social systems are complicated and that many forms of oppression, like racism, sexism and ageism, might be present and active at the same time in a person's life. Everyday approaches to building equality tend to focus on one type of discrimination, for instance sexism and then work to address only that specific concern. But while the career of a young, white and able-bodied woman might improve with gender equality protections, an older, black, disabled lesbian may continue to be hampered by racism, ageism, ableism and homophobia in the workplace. Intersectionality is about understanding and addressing all potential roadblocks to an individual or group's well-being. But it's not as simple as just adding up oppressions and addressing each one individually. Racism, sexism and ableism exist on their own. But when combined, they compound and transform the experience of oppression. Intersectionality acknowledges that unique oppressions exist, but is also dedicated to understanding how they change in combination. The roots of intersectionality lie within the black feminist movement, with legal scholar Kimberly Crenshaw originating the term. Crenshaw felt that anti-racist and feminist movements were both overlooking the unique challenges faced by black women. She stated that legislation about race is framed to protect black men, and legislation about sexism is understood to protect white women. So simply combining racism and sexism together does not therefore protect black women. Intersectional theory is now applied across a range of social divisions and also to understandings of domination, such as those associated with whiteness, masculinity and heterosexuality. Intersectionality is not only about multiple identities and it's not a simple answer to solving problems around equality and diversity. It is, however, an essential framework as we truly engage with issues around privilege and power and work to bring them into the open. Intersectionality means listening to others, examining our own privileges and asking questions about who may be excluded or adversely affected by our work. 
As importantly, it means taking measurable action to invite, include and centre the voices and work of marginalised individuals. So, I play that because to start today's news and social media nuggets with a let's get woke segment, our first article out of the gate, which I got from Twitter, is from Out Magazine on Op-Ed, Why the Supreme Court Case on Abortion Access is a Queer Issue. Now, let's, let's do some simple thought right now. If two girls are together, they can't make a baby. If two boys are together, they can't make a baby. It's called biology. You need a penis with sperm and a vagina and a actual womb with fallopian tubes and a cervix with eggs to make babies. But in our crazy society right now, because the left has been allowed to push the narrative, shut you down with your racist, sexist, homophobe, and transphobe, this is an article. It was tweeted by a journalist. In it, they talk about 450 states that have restricted abortion. 25 abortion bans have passed just in the last year. In Supreme Court case of Louisiana, we create unnecessary obstacles, drastically limiting the number of doctors who could perform the procedure, and by extension, the number of people who could undergo it. Once again, these are just simple rules. Like, you got to be able to take a gurney out in case there's a problem with the abortion. you got to have a doctor that actually does it, not the fucking janitor, which left state lets anybody, anybody do an abortion. And remember, it's a vacuum cleaner with razor blades that they shove up a woman's vagina and suck out a baby and chop it into a billion pieces. That's if they're just doing an abortion. In Planned Parenthood, they surgically remove the bad parts like arms and legs and they keep the good stuff to sell. But this is not just an attack on women. This is also an attack on the rights of people like me. I am non-binary and trans, and when I was 26, I found out I was pregnant. The time stopped. If you're non-binary and you're trans, you can't have a baby. Remember, these are the people that tell you that there is no gender. It's a social construct made up by white racists. Then we get into the verbiage that is allowed over and over. If access to abortion is curtailed, those who identify as LGBTQ plus will be among the first shut out, particularly in this political climate. All abortion restrictions disproportionately impact people of color, so LGBTQ plus people of color will be particularly vulnerable See, there it is. It's your intersectionality. This is why we get articles that climate affect only black people. Climate change. Only black people die by the cops. Only black people die of COVID. Only black people. Only black people. Because they realize if you strap the race onto any of your social causes, you shut people down. And as I've said a million times, if I was a black person, I'd be, what the fuck, bro? No. If you think you're a girl, you don't get a strap hang on my rights, my persecution, 
I mean, if I actually believe that, which I don't, nor does probably 60% of all black people believe any of this bullshit. But this is Pride Month. So, we're gaying it the fuck up. Gay Pride virtual event will feature artists, politicians, and amplify black voices. There you go. It's not about the gay people. It's just black gay people. It will feature 24 hours of virtual performances, speeches, and other empowering programs. And in here, they say it's LGBTQIA plus EIEIO. Then, because of all this shit, and everybody's scared of the mob burning down their shit, first trans queer lesbian, what does that even mean? And Calvin Klein billboard for Pride Month. So once again, if you're a guy who's a girl who calls herself a lesbian, you're just in a heterosexual relationship, folks. Because you still got a dick. And this person still has a dick. Celebration of Pride Month among fashion brand Calvin Klein launched a nine-part video series featuring rising stars in the gay community, including self-described trans queer lesbian Jerry Jones. Jones, lauded as a history maker, became the most notable of the campaign stars after posting a viral video reacting to seeing a massive Calvin Klein billboard in New York City featuring Jones modeling. Calvin Klein has made history by including the first black trans queer model as part of the Pride campaign. Here's my question. If you're trans queer and you're black, is that like the tip tip of the spear? Yeah, I think so. It's been such an honor and a pleasure to sit and buy my most authentic self. A guy. He says he's a girl and a lesbian, but he still fucks normal. Wow. That's yourself? Really, dude. Dude, come on. And the present imagery of body that far too often has been demonized, harassed, and made to feel ugly and unworthy and even killed. Yeah, no truth on that. There's no, nobody's killing you. This is all lies. I present this image myself and all my body stands for my community and chosen family and hope that they see themselves more clearly than ever and further, further realize that they are worthy of celebration of compassion and love and gratitude. Black trans lives matter. Speaking about the campaign to Refinery29, Jones says that young people should enjoy the exploration and know that heterosexuality isn't the hierarchy. Being something other than what society seems as regular is just as good and better. The activist said via email to the outlet, On Thursday, Jones exposed the ugly side of fame, hateful messages. It comes with showing the world of black folks, the trans folks, the fat folks can be celebrated. And I love the empowering public. I'm practicing self-love every day. I'm practicing balance every day to armor myself for this fight. But I know it's going to be a tough road ahead, but like my queer trans ancestors believed, the people and the community and the youth I'm doing all this for are worth the mental ass-kicking. Here's the campaign. To be exactly who I was. My entire life I was put in a box. I was told how I should act what I should look like. I was how we used to hide in. I felt like there was something really wrong with me. I'm writing my own story now. It's okay to be exactly who you are. There's nothing to be afraid of. Absolutely nothing.
This is what it looks like to be a queer Arab. I'm Persian. I'm Caribbean. Trans, queer, lesbian, asexual, non-binary. And I'm proud. Now, nobody in America is down with any of this shit. It's only like the 10 to, we'll say 20% of the country agrees with all this crazy shit. Like my daughter. But the media never covers it, never breaks it down. That This is a pretty absurd concept. That if you restrict abortion rights, which 70% of the country agree there should be restrictions on abortion, that you're somehow a racist. But they've been allowed to do this. It's mainstream. The media took it out there. And then more often than not, it's tied into pedophilia. Hulu show romanticizes underage boy chicken at a gay Trump, a gay club. Um, on June 17th, pre- premiere of Love Victor, a new gay show for Pride Month. About a boy's looking high school sophomore who's unsure about his sexuality. In the show, which was originally intended for Disney Plus, 15-year-old Victor Camino begins writing to Simon, an out-and-proud alumnus of his high school. Simon is a character from Love, Simon. Simon has now grown up and lives in New York. As the series moves towards a conclusion, Victor turns 16 and takes a bus to New York. The two go to an adult gay club called Messy Boots. In a scene that should set off alarm bells to any healthy adult, Victor, again, the boyish-looking high school sophomore, has a blast as he's checked out on the dance floor by an older guy at the club. Later in an episode, a drag queen comes on stage and knows Victor in the audience. This is when the episode becomes blatantly blatant in its predatory undertones. Katya, New York City, welcome to Messy Boots. Can I just say, you are the sorriest-looking crowd I've ever seen except this one. Who's this little chicken? Cluck, cluck, cluck. Come on up here. Get your butt up here. Audience, woo. Simon, yeah. Victor, Katya. What's your name, honey? Victor. Oh, Victor. Katya, how's your night going? Victor. Victor. Uh, it's been the best night of my life. For anybody unfamiliar with LGBT slang, a chicken does not merely refer to poultry. According to the book Gay Talk, a chicken is any boy under the age of consent, and chicken dinner is sex with a teenager. The LGBT wikia defines chicken hawk, a slang used in American British gay culture, to denote older males who prefer younger, underage boys. What the fuck? Why don't I have a Hulu subscription? YouTube transcensors video of regret from man warning against sex change transgenderism. It's Walt Heyer that we've covered over and over. They say it's a hate speech. So they censor it. The Heritage Foundation's YouTube channel signing its hate speech policy, according to the Federalists. Walt Heyer expressed regret for his own transgender years during a panel at the summit on protecting children from sexualization. Double down after being censored. Heyer explained in the video responding to the censorship, I said that children suffer from gender dysphoria should not be encouraged to truly or to try experimental hormones and surgery, and I stand by that statement. YouTube, in a statement to the Federalist about the decision, removed the censored video, stating that our hate speech policy prohibits videos with assertion that someone's sexual or gender identity is a disease or a mental illness, even though that's true. Rob Buey gave a statement on the issue to the Federalist, 
Rather than engage in nuanced, good-faith discussion with people who have experienced gender dysphoria, YouTube wants to censor any viewpoint it doesn't like, even if advocates of transgender ideology say the exact same banned phrase in other videos. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. We went from, hey, um, we probably shouldn't have kids getting changed at three or four or five years old at birth whatever the fuck they're doing now because they believe they're a girl or they believe they're a boy to if you say what it is if you say a boy's a boy a girl's a girl you're deplatformed. that's how crazy our society is so when you see shit burning in the street you should just go back to well fuck nothing is normal now in the zeal to get Democrats elected, Democrats have gone with anything to get that little, they got to cobble them up enough demographics to get somebody to vote for. They're crazy. And then normals in the center, including Democrats, go, what the fuck? I got to vote for this? I'm not with this. That's the thing that's so crazy about you're a racist, homophobe, whatever the fuck they say about Trump voters. We don't have choices. We either vote against losing my guns, my religion, my ability to have free speech, my police, my property. Or we vote for that and lose everything. That's the vote for Trump. It's not for Trump. Nobody likes Trump. I don't think his base likes it. They like how he talks shit. But for fuck's sake... We now have a culture where a predatory gay man, you can't say that. Because you're a homophobe. And then you're a racist because it might be a black guy. Really? Then you have this shit. Susan Weiss. Instead of telling women their breasts are sexy no matter the size, how about stop sexualizing breasts? This was all over the internet. Okay. Because it's an election year. We got to get sexism in. So let's get woke and go into what I like to call the Wokeathon, because there's a lot of stupid just from a podcast a few days ago. Turn it up, turn it on. Rock it like we're bad to the bone, hit on the floor, running loose. Gotta put these two left feet to use. If you need education in the party scene, if you think you can dance with me, this ain't no joke. Turn up. Let's get woke. Oh, there's a lot of stupid. From the New York Times. Overlook no more. Valerie Solanas, radical feminist who shot Andy Warhol. She made daring arguments in Scum Manifesto, her case for a world without men. But it was her attack on Warhol that came to define her life. Somebody who assaulted somebody. But they say shit we agree with, so okay. Now the creators of The Simpsons say white voice actors will no longer voice people of color. Just yellow ones. 
in a sense, The Simpsons has been through this before after a documentary that, sh- that no one saw convinced voice actor Hank Azario to step aside for voicing Indian American Hapu. Now we have Kristen Bell apologizing and saying she will no longer voice a mixed-race character on Netflix Central Park. And Mike Henry, who's been the voice of Cleveland Brown on Family Guy and the Cleveland Show for 20 years, says he'll step aside to make room for a person of color. Oh, and voice actress Jenny Slate, who will no longer voice Missy, a biracial character on the Netflix series Big Mouth. It's an animation revolution. People now, the Simpsons, which has bowed to the woke mob once already, issued a statement Friday saying, moving forward, the Simpsons will no longer have white actors voice non-white characters. Yet educated hillbilly and the world said, they're yellow. They don't have black characters. They're all yellow. Everybody's a shade of yellow. But that's not the stupidest. Racism solved. Realtors to stop using the word master to describe bedrooms. Deadspin calls for the master to change his name. Yeah, this this is this is real. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, bachelor's degree and master's degrees are going to get changed, but maybe we'll pick up a hint from realtors in Texas and stop assu- assuming. Uh, using, I'm sorry, the term master to describe bedrooms and bathrooms. Texas realtors will stop using master to describe bedrooms and bathrooms. AG conservative. I really could care less about how they refer to specific bedrooms, but does anyone else feel like this is getting out of control? We're going to ban everything that could possibly offend someone regardless of context? I thought this was a joke until I did research. This is getting beyond absurd. The thing is that there is some big market demand for this stuff. It's just companies and people trying to preempt any outrage from a few radical activists. But it is becoming normalized as a new standard and people are getting hurt for not abiding by that standard. The main component of car brake system is called blank cylinder. The degree of a bachelor degree is called what degree? A carpenter rated above journeyman is called what carpenter? The lead law enforcement on a ship is called what at arms? I mean, that's where we're going. And it won't stop. Brett McMurphy Oregon and Oregon State mutually agreed to no longer refer to Oregon-Oregon State rivalry game as the Civil War. Oregon football. We appreciate our alumni and current student-athletes for reaching out to share the perspective, and they have been heard. We can face off against Oregon State without calling it Civil War. So did Oregon State give the same tweet. Reddit. While fan opinion appears tepid on Oregon, Oregon State dropping the Civil War nickname, there are plenty of suggestions going beyond the obvious platypus theme. Murph and Andy show. Oregon, Oregon State agree no longer call their rivalry game Civil War. Vote. Progress, 20.7%. Ridiculous, 79.3%. And it's exactly what I've been saying. This is in Oregon. That wasn't a national poll. That was an Oregon poll. But did I not say about 20% of the world is fucking retarded? I know you're not supposed to say that. I don't give a fuck. Just fucking stupid. Oh, for fuck's sake. Journalists distraught because employers spell their name wrong twice. Yes, she's Latinx. ABC News. My employer spelled my name wrong twice. This is why it matters. America's showman P.T. Barnum once famously said, I don't give a damn what you say about me as long as you spell my name right. My name is Tahalia. Talia. Atulia. And as someone who throughout unsolicited commentary has always been told how different and difficult my name is, this quote 
has always resonated with me. In fact, the last person I had to correct for misspelling my name was someone from my own employer, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. I was invited to join a panel on representation of pop culture by ABC News Channel earlier this month because my name, Super, the strap with my name at the bottom of the screen, was added during production. I wasn't aware my name was spelled incorrectly until after the interview had finished and I was informed by my friends and family. Typos happen and I understand how a slip of a finger on the keyboard turned my surname from Atelia to Akatia. But when it was the first time I had done a TV interview, it wasn't the first time I'd seen my name spelled wrong in the media. Talia's name was also misspelled on the article she wrote for ABC News website, Supplied. Just a month ago, my name was spelled incorrectly by a producer in my own department, the Asian Pacific Newsroom. It was pretty disappointing, especially given it was a Pacific story for my own newsroom. Now, I want to clear that this is both instances my colleagues reached out and apologized, and I told them no Ill, I have no ill feelings towards them. But these small errors can have big impacts among communities that often don't see themselves reflected in the media. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now we're getting the Pacific Islanders or a grieved class. I'm not alone in having my name spelled wrong. My mom's Italian maiden name is Bukokia, has been spelled on our Australian birth certificate. However, this is not just about the spelling of my name. I've also been told by a radio presenter and pronounced my own name wrong, and I've heard my name laughed at on Mamiya podcast. I immediately emailed Mamiya, and the presenter sincerely apologized for offending me. And I'm very proud of my Samoan name. So in early June, when I heard Aaron Mullen on 2 Gigabyte Radio say hookah, luka, muka, hookah, hookah, in a chant about the pronunciation of Pacific names, I was so angry that I took to Twitter to call her out for her lack of cultural respect. While Miss Mullen did not reply to me, she did release a statement saying her remark are clumsy and inappropriate in an attempt to reference a story that's been told multiple times on air. I received my message in response to my tweets. Some thanked me for speaking out. Some particularly called me a racist name or a snowflake. And some said that I should expect from Australian commercial media. So when my employer, the ABC, spells my name wrong when I appeared on national TV less than a week later, I knew I had to call them out in the same public way I'd been called out on Miss Mullen. Immediately, people started sharing their stories with me, having their own different name misspelled, mispronounced, and laughed at by the Australian media. The next morning, I said, an email to my manager asking to write this piece. Responses. My last name's Ziegler. It defies grammar rules and autocorrect corrects it over and over again. Still, I persist with sarcasm. Momo, this woman having her name misspelled has nothing to do with citizens being killed by police. What a whiny narcissist. Good grief. She got an apology for the typo, but misspelled her name is still a global issue, y'all. Ali Bethy Stuckey. Most people are just careless. No need to accuse them of malice. Sincerely, Ali, 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 Ali. All the different ways her name's misspelled. Matt Walsh. Imagine being such such a petty narcissist that you not only remember specific instances when your name is spelled wrong, but write an entire article about it. Autonomation. Million of people are unemployed due to COVID, and you're mad your employer spelled your name wrong. By the way is what the vast majority of workplace discrimination complaints are based on. True. I was called my real name wrong for 20 years in the Army. I didn't whine or bitch. As most know, my real name's not Reed. And the common pronunciation of my given name is like three different versions. But I didn't get whiny. Oh, what the fuck? Now that's racist. 
From Matt in Oregon. ACLU sues Portland over police assaults of reporters, protest observers. Why isn't the ACLU in there when a church gets fucked with? What about those rights? Also from Matt in Oregon. California Democrats passed resolution calling to rename John Wayne Airport. Uh, All likenesses be removed from the airport over racist and bigoted statements made by the American icon decades ago. You know, my joke back on this was he wore women's bathrobes. They should like him. He was the vanguard of what is now cool. Oh, wait a minute, it's white. Never mind. Alyssa Milano, because I got to have her in our rope section. Just a reminder that Trump was impeached. Just a reminder that COVID-19 was handled with no care for American people. Just a reminder that Trump gassed peaceful protesters for a photo op. Just a reminder to check your voter registration request a mail-in ballot. B responded to her. These are all responses. Just a reminder, celebs aren't political analysts. Starting to feel bad for your broken and fragmented soul. Lord only knows what you went through. Don't forget Alyssa Milano dropped the Me Too movement the second it wasn't convenient for her. Just a reminder, you think crocheting is a effective PPE. Just a reminder that Alyssa Milano is not friend of reality or truth. That's why she's chosen to be an actor. And not carried everywhere, but I found it on Mediaite. Megan Kelly booted by NBC after blackface comment. Shreds Network and names names over blackface moments. And she went through the list. Jimmy Fallon, Fred Armiston, Prince. Or sorry, Jimmy Fallon, who had apologized last month and skipped. Fred Armiston, who portrayed both Prince and Barack Obama in Darkface. Tina Fey, Ten Danson, Jane Krakowski, John Hamm, Zach Braff, Sarah Chalik. Ken Jong and Julianne Huff, all who have been subjects of blackface incidents. Kelly's tweet got a lot of traction and likes, retweets, and quote retweets. It's not her first on the subject, however. Having similarly tweeted and name-checked Andy Lack just two days ago, it does seem like a whole lot of names for a network that claimed to be taking a stand when Kelly discussed it, but did not dawn blackface. Oh, no! But they were getting hammered from hiring anybody from Fox. Just hammered. So they just got rid of her in the most convenient way they could. Next is Eddie Zipper. They requested police present, you know, for the safety at the defund police event. And this, to me, is the perfect woke. Because these people, this is what they do. We demand this. Oh, wait a minute. No, we don't. So I come in this morning and we're informed there's going to be a protest to um, defund the police. Well, that's fine. I like protests. Except for they requested a police presence, you know, for their safety at the defund police event. (sighs) I shit you not. But I think the perfect correlation of how far this craziness has gone, spurned on by the media, voted in by the fucking Democrats, and makes every one of us just go, what the fuck is the following? Dungeons and Dragons race issue have deep roots in the world of fantasy. 
Wizards of the Coast, the company buying D&D, vowed to revise the idea of inherently evil races such as orcs in a popular fantasy game. And this is a real story by Jeremy Bloom. A make-believe world that doesn't have black or white has a race issue. Let's read this. Wizard of Coast, the company behind self-proclaimed world's greatest role-playing game, D&D, has committed to stressing diversity and removing racially problematic language from its product line, and fans are holding the company to account. Dungeon & Dragons commonly owns D&D as a game in which a group of players create characters, roll dice, and navigate a story overseen by Dungeon Master. Originally created in 1974, the game issues a 5th edition and 14 that became its most popular, especially after live-stream platforms such as Twitch showed such a net... Flick Stranger Things introduced D&D to new audiences. The game newfound popularity, however, has also invited critiques. Critiques of critics have pointed out that when creating a character, D&D players must choose a race, such as an elf, dwarf, or gnome, and that the usage of the word is technically a misnomer. And I just can't after that. Dark elves are bad. Everything's bad. But I pair right next to it. Talia Levine, the very person who outed a Navy dude who was a quadriplegic as a fucking white supremacist because of tattoos that had to do with his military service. This was allowed no pushback from the media. The arbiters of what everything's right or wrong. Andy NGO is best known for finding kill lists to Autumn Waffen and being a threat to our community. Because Representative Jordan, a few days ago, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee called Anifa Imaginary, Mr. Andy NGO is briefing the Oversight Committee on Monday, bet he'll have a different story to share. Because they brought him in because it's all over Twitter. The same people say Anifa doesn't exist, it's too small, it's not a shape, there's no leadership. They have Twitter accounts. Brian McCall, no, he's best known for fiercely documenting the American hate thuggery of Antifa. Rita Panani, who showed the picture of the person she said was a white supremacist, you haven't learned a thing, have you? You haven't. You just haven't. You're just a bunch of fucking asshats. But everything is this way. I had a section today I'm going to do in the beginning on the next podcast. And it's, the internet's the devil. When I went to search for how the internet's dividing us, how the internet is bad for us, this is what Google returned. The internet is broken. If social media seems less fun and less useful... That's by design. The social networks Americans use every day, they've been weaponized against us, pitting us against one another by exploiting our cultural and political weaknesses. So who's doing this? It isn't one group, but a coalition with a lot of overlap, including right-wing media, far-right online communities, homegrown hate groups, and hostile foreign actors, most notably Russian trolls. You know, there are people in Russia whose job it is is to try to exploit our systems. And yes, this coalition includes Donald Trump and his administration. 
Trump and his online army of supporters feed off America's unresolved issues with race to divide Americans. And Russian trolls have aided that effort by running their own online influence operations, targeting American voters. What does this weaponization look like? Here are four main categories you should be aware of. False amplification. That's attempting to make your view or movement seem larger than it is with bots or algorithmic manipulation. Spreading disinformation, aka fake news. Knowingly spreading and amplifying false information online. The New World Order. Online harassment. This includes bullying, doxing, or similar methods with the shared goal of intimidating others into silence. Fanning the flames. Specifically, trolling for the purpose of inciting outrage, sometimes with different groups at the same time, with the goal of pitting them against one another. Women and people of color are disproportionately the target of weaponization campaigns. That's also by design. The goal is to drive us away from civic participation entirely by intimidating us into silence and demobilizing us from civic engagement. So what do we do about it? Can social media be saved? I think so. But the key to fixing what's broken starts with the companies who created these platforms and allowed them to be gamed in the first place. Consumers have been left to deal with fake news, predatory political ads, targeted harassment, and data breaches largely on their own. We're dealing with systemic failures of the social media ecosystem, but the solutions offered often call on individuals to sort out their online experience for themselves. The best way to fight back against weaponization is to pressure the tech platforms. As a consumer, you have a lot of power. Right now, these companies, especially Facebook, are on the defensive. Because of mass consumer outrage, they're finally starting to make some changes, but toxic content still goes viral online constantly. We need to keep demanding that companies profiting from our time and attention foster spaces we actually want to be on, free from weaponization and toxicity. I believe that social media can be a force for good again. Online communities should connect us, not divide us. Social media should help Americans move forward to create a better society, which is what the tech companies all claim they want. But we can't get there until they take responsibility for what's gone wrong. Yeah, the alt-right. That's what came up when all I searched for, the Internet dividing America. Conveniently left out of Google are the following two sound bites, and they're a little long, black-on-white crime that's happening all over the place, and protesters, counter-protesters. One of them was a black man pushing back on the Antifa BLM mob, mostly Antifa, and being attacked. That doesn't make Google. There'll be a short pause between sound bites. And then there's the problem of death. If we're going, if we're going ideologically, the argument got to hold up on both sides. All the killing in our community ain't coming from white people. Come on, say amen if you can. We are killing one another. Our old people are scared to get out at night in their own community. They're not scared of white people. They're scared of young black boys on the street. Amen. No, oh, no, 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 no. All the killing that's going on ain't going on in River Oaks. It's going on in South Union. In Third War. On Cullen and Martin Luther King. Every 
this street that's named after Martin Luther King across America is riddled with crime and death in the name of a man who stood for nonviolence. The church has got to accept some responsibility because we in here singing and shouting on Sunday morning. Let's get out here and go tell that young black boy and that young black girl, we're going to teach you how to love yourself more than somebody taught you how to hate yourself. Pull your pants up. Take your nasty pajamas off when you get up in the morning to go outside. Wish I had somebody to help like you got good sense. Talk like somebody's raising you. A whole lot of our problems are self-inflicted. White people ain't breaking in my house. I wish I had a witness here. This 14 on my back, you've been a target. It just make me go harder, cause I'm knowing why you started this shit. You just wanna be a part of this shit. I should've left the street sooner, I got smart. Eternal damnation, but rather embrace 
secular-based principles of morality and do good for goodness sake. And so we prayed, so what?
trying to put the music on pause. I'm curious about what you've had, what you've heard, because this is extremely distressing to me. Whoa, whoa! Hey, 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 hey! hey. Stop, 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 Please, stop, 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 stop! I need you to stop. Look at me, look at me, look at me. We can't have. We can't have the. I'm trying to stop. Please, 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 and then the worst was last night. Daniel Schuler, New York Post, a bunch of other blue check fucking liberals. A couple has come out of their house and is pointing guns at protesters in a neighborhood in St. Louis. But Cassandra Fairbanks at least has the intellectual honesty, and so did conservatives, to show the first video where they broke into the community. Y'all see he got a gun and shit. Y'all can see. Y'all see on my live feed live. He got his rifle. Uh, Y'all can see. He does have a weapon. As y'all can see. This individual does have a rifle.
I'm going to be on the lookout for this because I'm going to guarantee somehow, some way, the media is going to make this about the homeowners. And this is what we're voting for. We're not voting for Trump. We're not voting for Republicans. We're voting against fucking lawlessness. Just lawlessness. Because all this is happening on your street. This is what CBS did real time yesterday. They brought Pence on. He said all lives matter. Then they brought a BLM NAACP chapter head to bash and say everybody's racist. Remember, everything you're seeing on network news and cable news is staged to push the liberal narrative and elect Biden. As nationwide calls for racial justice and police reform continued this week, legislation in Washington reached a stalemate. A Republican-backed police reform bill was blocked by Senate Democrats. And while House Democrats did pass a bill, the legislation is likely dead on arrival in the Senate. We want to return now to our conversation with Vice President Pence. What do you hear the protesters saying when they protest? Well, it's it's been a focus of ours uh, since the tragic killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Um, there's no excuse for what happened to George Floyd. Um, but there's also no excuse for the rioting and looting and violence uh, that ensued. Um, Look, the president engaged law enforcement leaders. We've sat down with leaders in the African-American community. I've, I've met with leaders in the African-American community and, and law enforcement in cities around this country. And what I hear is while, while uh, the radical left says we need to defund the police, what the American people want is for us to fund the police with additional training and support and also improve the lives of the people in our African-American community, which I'm proud to say, under President Trump's leadership, we were doing over the last three years. We don't need to choose between supporting law enforcement and supporting our African-American neighbors. One, We can do both, and that's how we bring our country together. One thing protesters would like to hear is leaders say black lives matter. You won't say that. Why? All my life, I've been inspired by the example of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Um, When I was in Congress, I traveled to his home church in Montgomery with Congressman John Lewis. I walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge on the anniversary of Bloody Sunday. Um, I cherish the progress that we have made toward a more perfect union for African Americans throughout our history. And I've, I've aspired throughout my career to be a part of that ongoing work. It's really a hard issue for me. And as a pro-life American, I also believe that all lives matters, born and unborn. But what, what I see in the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement is a political agenda of the radical left that would defund the police, that would leave uh, that out of it, tear Just the down phrase. monuments, that would that would press a, a a radical left agenda that 
and, and, and support calls for the kind of violence that has beset the very communities that they say that they're advocating for. But, the, but See, sir, we, I, I've, I've literally met, I've literally met with African American leaders uh, around this country and in, in the national capital area who've, who made it clear to us they, they want law and order, uh, they, they want peace in our streets. So you won't say Black Lives Matter? John, I really believe that all lives matter. Okay. And that's where the heart of the American people Joining us now is Sherilyn Eiffel, president of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, an organization dedicated to fighting for racial justice. She joins us this morning from Baltimore. Good morning. Good morning, John. I want to start uh, with that video that we just played for Senator Scott. Apparently, the president has now taken it down. But when you're president, you can't delete the things you say. And I wanted to get your reaction about the white power uh, video that he promoted. This is really not about the president uh, taking it down. This is about the judgment of the president in putting it up. Uh, it's about what the president believes, and um, and it's time for this this country to really face that. I spent the first few years of this presidency with reporters asking me questions over and over again about whether, in fact, the president was racist and whether he support supported white supremacist ideologies. I'm through uh, answering that question because the president answers it himself, and he did this morning. In talking to the vice president, I asked him about the phrase Black Lives Matter, and, and he said all lives matter. I wonder in the current context that in this moment of protests like we haven't seen since the 1960s, um, what you think he misses about the, that phrase and what it means in this moment? Uh, I think that we don't have enough time on this program to actually explore all the things the vice president is likely missing. Um, you know, even if the vice president had said Black Lives Matter, it would be hollow and I wouldn't believe it uh, because he is the vice president of the United States, just like we have a president, just like we have senators, and they should be judged by their actions and what they do. Uh, and, you know, when I hear the vice president say that for his entire life he has been guided by the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., then he would know what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said about protests in 1965 and 66 that protested police violence in African-American communities when he said riots are the language of the unheard. Uh, so to hear uh, him say that and then at the same time hear his comments about protests uh, demonstrate that the vice president is far from understanding the significance of this moment and really what his obligation is uh, when people across the country in 50 states, not just black people, but people of all races are coming together and standing together and saying enough is enough. So one of the responses to that cry from the streets is the bills that have gone through the House and the Senate. Focusing on the Senate for a moment, we just talked to Senator Scott, uh, whose bill was blocked. Uh, part of what the Democratic senators did was cite your work in, in why that bill should be blocked. Was it uh, irredeemable, that legislation, or is there any common ground here to, to, to get maybe some movement on this issue? You know, much is told by uh, the senator's words that uh, this is a response to the cries from the street in light of the death of George Floyd. That is not where this started. And the problem is that too many people in the United States Congress have only woken up to this issue or decided to do something about this issue uh, in the last six weeks or the last four weeks. Uh, where, where were they in 2014 when people were protesting in Ferguson? Where were they in 2014 when Eric Garner was choked to death on the streets of New York? 
And that's just, you know, in 2014. Some of us can go back to Eleanor Bumpers and Michael Stewart and Clifford Glover. This is a decades-long struggle. The protests of the 1960s in 64, 65, 66, 67 in cities all over this country, 150 cities, almost all of those protests, all of those incidents of unrest began with an encounter between law enforcement and African Americans and African American communities. So we've had a lot of time to think about what is needed, and what is needed is a regime of accountability. And the problem with the Senate bill uh, is that it is not, it does not propose a regime of accountability. It proposes a regime of data collection and the creation of commissions to study a problem that we already know quite a bit about. So what we need is accountability. And that is completely absent from the Senate bill. The House bill does include a regime of accountability. And I will say I'm not a, I don't represent the Democratic Party. I represent uh, communities of, of color. I represent black people as a civil rights uh, organization, as leader of a civil rights organization, and we didn't get everything we wanted uh, in the House bill either. But the House bill does include a strong regime of accountability. It addresses the issue of qualified immunity, for example, which you were discussing with Senator Scott. It, walk me through qualified immunity, because there are some ways in which qualified immunity is very helpful for federal workers trying to do their jobs. It's uh, Explain the, the problem in terms of accountability and whether there's, is there any middle ground here that can be found? Well, first of all, this bill only would eliminate qualified immunity for law enforcement officers, so it would be limited to that category. Secondly, qualified immunity has been so distorted. The doctrine basically is a defense that allows uh, public workers and police officers in this case to be able to uh, defend themselves against actions they may have taken unless it was clear that those actions uh, violated the law. In other words, there has to be a clearly established law that the uh, actions were unconstitutional. But courts have now taken it to the point where unless the exact fact pattern, so a police officer, uh, you know, tases to death our client uh, in Phoenix City, Alabama, uh, and we can't get the Supreme Court to hear the case because th there has to be an, ex an exact scenario of, of someone being tased to death 19 times that has been found to be unconstitutional in order to establish that qualified immunity is not available. Uh, it is beyond belief the kinds of cases, the kinds of egregious conduct that we see uh, and the way in which it's been distorted. Conservatives, many conservatives, also understand that qualified immunity has gone too far, including Senator Lindsey Graham, who said he's willing to look at it. So right. we need to deal with that uh, element of accountability. All right, Sherilyn Eiffel, we're going to have to end it there. We've run out of time. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having That's our media. That's our media. That's not journalism. Let's not bring it on two sides of a story. Bringing two sides of the story on is to bring the vice president and the speaker of the house. Politicians. No, the media gave a mouthpiece to a lady that wants to burn down the country, take away all the rights of white people, and fucking take all their possessions. It's not being a race-based person, not being a white supremacist. That's what BLM's calling for. You owe us money, and that's not even enough. That's not all of it. Reparation plus more. That was said. That's what BLM wants. Disbanding police, borders, ICE, military, taking away your guns. That's their policy. And really think about that. Every fucking company in America, every streaming service, 
Every newspaper, every TV network has bowed to that. So I think Wendy McCovney, is that, am I saying her name right? I don't think I'm saying her name right. I never say it right because I just call her Mama Goldberg because I just love the show and I love her because she's so, she's so fucking funny. Um, let me get her name right. Wendy McClendon Covey. There it is. <laughs> I call her McCovey. That's probably not it. That's why she liked what I said. Because anybody who's got common sense looks at this and goes, whoa, where the fuck is going on? We're self-canceling over one man who had fentanyl-laced meth in his body, who broke the law, who had a heart attack and died. We've done all of this. And if you think it wasn't by design, if you think this wasn't prepped to go on this election year, you're on crack. They were just looking for something to roll it out. And now, if you disagree, you're a racist. If you stand back and defend your property like those poor people, you're a racist. Now, that motherfucker's rich as shit. He's living in a castle. I don't even know houses like that were in St. Louis. It's a fu- it looks like, like, um, the Washington Monument. His house is gigantic. But that's what he earned. That's what he, that's where he lives. If I was rich, I wouldn't live there, but that's his life. And now we're saying defending your own property makes you the bad guy. Because we're all supposed to bow to Antifa and BLM. And if you don't, you're wrong. You're not in step with the country. You're not moving forward. You're not progress. Which brings us to our This is America. Chuck Todd, once again, a good little liberal, literally rolled out Mr. fucking Cuomo. I believe it's Cuomo. And just let him lie about COVID. Just let him lie. None of it is true. His state had the most cases. He literally wrote a directive that killed grandma. And this question was just offered up just like it was with Hillary and her fucking server. Like everything else with Chuck Todd. His way to demonize conservatives. The same time his network is running Arizona bad, Florida bad, Georgia bad, everybody bad. And not saying, hey, New York infected the entire goddamn country because of their progressive ways. It ties in so I'm using COVID, but it ties into BLM. It ties into everything we're talking about. That all this stuff is in Democrat city. All these bad police departments are run by Democrat mayor and city councils. Governors. It's all Democrats. David Limbaugh. Dem leaders don't seek solutions for those they profess to represent. Grievances and identity politics are their way of power. Similarly, the rioters don't want solutions. They're implacable. They say our evils are systemic, so their solution is whole system destruction. So when people say we ought to work with rioters or BLM, they display complete ignorance or support of their goal to destroy the nation. Listen to what they say. Reparations wouldn't satisfy them either. It's as if the Civil War and Civil Rights Movement 
never happened. These people are exactly what I've been saying since this started. I'm not a soothsayer. I'm not saying I'm a smart guy. I'm just looking through the bullshit. This has nothing to do with George Kittle or Kirby or whatever Pelosi called it. This has nothing to do with systemic racism. This has nothing to do with anything other than altering America to what they want it to be. A socialist society with the only people in control is them. BLM and Antifa. They rule the streets. They take what they want. They destroy property because you could pay them. You could placate them. You can take down every statue there is. They're just going to find something else to fuck up. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing the liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. And final question. We talked about this, uh, about nursing homes before. Um, and, and you've taken some heat on the directive. And you've said you were following a national directive. But let's, let me ask it again similarly at this point. Do you think these senior centers are safe? Period. Yeah. Uh, look, there's, uh, I've taken political heat. Okay, there are facts in this politics. Uh, there's no doubt in nursing homes all across this nation, that's where we saw most of the deaths. Not most, but almost 50% of the deaths. Senior citizens in congregate yeah. settings. Uh, and uh, it's, it's becoming more and more clear that the infection in the nursing homes came from the staff that got infected and brought it in. Uh, but in New York, we're number 46 in the nation in terms of percentage of deaths at nursing homes compared to the total percentage. By the New York Times, we're number 46. So uh, it's been unfortunate in every state. We have to do more. We have to figure it out. But if they want to point fingers, uh, not at New York, we're number 46. You have uh, 45 other states to point fingers at first. I understand that. Are these safe? Are these facilities safe in your mind right now? They are as safe, they are as safe, well, in this state, well, we're testing every week every uh, nursing home employee, right? Right. Uh, so you could argue that they are safer than a senior citizen at home who is receiving care at home. The safest environment, okay. my mother, stay home, don't see anyone. If you are uh, at home and you have an aide coming in, that aide is not tested. In a nursing home, the staff is being tested once a week, and uh, seniors do have to be careful wherever they are. Governor Cuomo, I'd love to keep going, but I am out of time. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your perspective with us, and uh, stay safe. They are part of the mob. Just now, I just got this in my inbox. Karen Atai, the Washington Post Global Opinions Editor, just deleted this and said, white women are lucky that we are just calling them Karens and not calling for revenge. This was in 2016 we did this too. This is from a major newspaper. The lies and tears of white women hath wrought the 1921 Tulsa Massacre, 
the murder of Emmett Till, exclusion of black women from feminist movement, 53% of white women voting for Trump. White women are lucky that we are just calling them Karens and not calling for revenge. She's Karen Atai. I don't know what race she is. Let's look it up. Karen Atai. No, she's black. She's a black woman. Peter J. Hassan, absolutely wild tweet. Sean Davis, what does revenge against white women look like? Any possible details? I'm starting to think being an absolute lunatic is the job description for major newspapers. Tweets like this cause young white Americans to become even more extreme in their politics. Congratulations. That is journalism. And then because I have time, when I started talking, I was under three hours. I'm going to play a truncated version, and then the full version is going to be online. I'm going to shot Chaser, Probasek being attacked, and Brian Seltzer bringing on a guest to say Trump supporters want to, what was the exact verbiage? I think it's kill. Let me make sure I got this right. Smear Trump fans is wanting reporters dead. So we'll have like two minutes of Probasek and then play the full next time. And then Brian Seltzer. This is what he generated yesterday after this was online for 24 hours. Hmm. That's what's fundamentally broken. Lack of trust when it comes to all these topics, whether it's the pandemic uh, or, or it's any other policy change, etc. You know, the president, um, you know, used the term Kung flu the other day, a racist term. Uh, CBS reporter Weijia Zhang said a Trump official said the same term to her back in the springtime. And earlier this week, Ke- Kaylee McEnany, Kellyanne Conway both sparred with Weijia Zhang when she brought it back up. Uh, have you ever seen, as a former White House press secretary yourself, such a personal... Uh, hostile relationship between reporters uh, and government officials? Well, there's always some tension between them. Sometimes there's some open feuding between them, but I've never seen anything like this. I mean, you probably know that one of the most popular T-shirts at Trump's rallies uh, has Trump urinating, a cartoon character like Trump urinating on the CNN logo. You probably, if you watched the Tulsa rally from start to finish last week, you will, you will, you will have seen Trump He didn't have the crowd in the beginning. They weren't engaged yet. So how did he get their attention? How did he get their passion uh, engaged? He pointed to a CNN reporter and said the cruelest things about her. And the crowd came alive. The crowd was passionate again because he had made an enemy out of the person sitting in their midst. I mean, Jeff Charlotte of Vanity Fair covered that rally, as we did. And he saw that the reporters were sitting in a kind of pen in the middle of, uh, of 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 the stadium, and so the 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 audience was all after him. You know, they could look right after the press. You know, if you make if you make a fool or a clown out of the press, then you have persuaded their viewer, your your followers. They do not have to listen to that person or or, or learn from him. They can mm-hmm. only make fun of him. And that's what Trump is doing. Brian, this is terrible to say, but there's a there's a, another popular uh, uh, 
sweat a t-shirt out in the Trump rallies that that uh, that says uh, reporters, journalists, uh, a tree uh, needs assembly. I mean, that's a suggestion of the ultimate violence visited upon people who are trying to do their job and cover the news for the public. It's a t- atrocious approach to the media, and I never have seen it this way before. Nixon tried, but he didn't have his heart in it. Trump has his heart in it. He loathes the media because it built him, and because it built him, it can undo him. Hmm. Bill Morris, thank you very much. Great to hear your insight. Fucking bitch.
Get the fuck out! Exactly, boy. Oh, these are your jackets. These are your people. No, these are these are other security. To tie in beginning to end, they project to protect. He knew that was out there. He knew journalists have during the last month been attacked more by Antifa and BLM than any alt-right people you can dream up that aren't out there. The only time alt-right, I guess as we classify it, which is now gone from a white supremacist to just people protecting their land, they've been around statues. And they quickly dropped the Arizona New Mexico shooting because it was self-defense. But that's the closest he could get to it. That's what you air after... It's 12 minutes long. They were in his face, pouring stuff on him. It was violent. And I don't watch OWN. I don't even know... I, I read Jack Probosek tweets. Because he's literally at the fucking protest. And it's actually as factual as I'm going to get. Because our media doesn't even cover it now. Because they know the only thing going on now is violence. Outright violence. So that's how we got here. We call that journalism. White women should get revenged. Journalists are getting beat up, but they're not our journalists. So it's morally justified. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share it with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Podcast, Downcast. Remember to check out the Twitter page at Fop Tony Reed. I'm probably going to do a podcast on Thursday. So that would be uh, the 3rd of July, Year of Our Lord, 2020. I'm going to do how the internet is dividing us with all that information I put out a long time ago. I'll do the full Jack Probosec. I'm sure I'll have some more violence. And I'm going to do a section for the military. And I'm going to make sure I play the Star Spangled Banner, God Bless America, and any other freaking patriotic song I could find and play it in the background while flying flags and painting myself into one gigantic... American flag. Just to fucking flip off all these pieces of shit who think this country is irredeemably racist, totally broken, and we're all just a bunch of fucking pieces of shit because we don't vote Democrat. Until then, make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Spend some time with your family. I'm telling you, last night we watched the Brady Bunch in Hawaii, a Laverne and Shirley, and one Happy Days. It was really enjoyable. There's no social justice. There's just a show. Oh, I mean, I guess there was some social justice with with uh, Laverne and Shirley, how men 
get a positive reputation for having sex, but women get a bad reputation. True statement, but that was as close to social justice we could find. It was just entertainment. And we're still driving on with our British crime shows. Where, surprisingly, if they're gay characters or they're um, men in drag, it's not made to be a big deal. It's just part of the script. And it has something to do with the plot. What a fucking concept. That's when you don't really get, like, you even think about it as a conservative. You just go, okay, it's part of the plot. American TV, it's announcement with ruffles and flourishes. (laughs) We checked the block. As always, my friends, take care and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. Shyness that is criminal in Borgia. I am Sonnenberg.